Deckard only wanted his baby to be safe. And she is. When the time comes, I will show her to the world. And she will lead our army. She? Of course. Rachel had a daughter. With my own eyes, I saw her come. I dressed her in blue when it was time for her to go. It was a boy that you had. That is just a piece of the puzzle. You imagined it was you. Oh, you did. You did. We all wish it was us. That's why we believe. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 253, Blade Runner 2049. Another movie with just an insanely long runtime, but not one that I would complain about. Love every minute of this movie. Yeah, we're coming right back at you with another huge, epic science fiction sequel hot on the heels of Aliens from a couple weeks ago. I guess the only complaint is us just having to do episodes on these long-ass movies. Just the endeavor, the undertaking that it is. Yeah, I hope all of the listeners appreciate the amount of time that I put into this. (laughs) The amount of dread that goes into when we're about to record one of these long ones. Yeah, Especially a movie like this, it's very overwhelming. There's a lot of story when you factor in the original film. Blade Runner, which is great, by the way, but it makes it difficult, does this thing where they don't explain everything. It's very much, you have to figure this stuff out on your own. It doesn't force feed you what it's trying to say. Well, there's stuff left to speculation even. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff left to speculation. The themes are not hammered home like a lot of the moralistic movies of today. It's much more subtle, which probably factors into why this movie was not a runaway box office smash. But it makes it way more interesting and intriguing, and we're going to do our best with it. There's a lot to cover. Hopefully we bring our unique insights into this film. We'll give it a go. (laughs) I think this is probably one of my most watched movies of the last five years wow yeah i've watched it a decent amount of times i enjoy this movie Lindsay likes it which helps yeah there's a lot of pitches that aren't quite 
moving the needle there, where she's <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know if tonight's the night for the original Black Christmas. Or Benedetta. Yeah. <laughs> but Blade Runner 2049, she's always up for. I mean, obviously, Ryan Gosling helps. Yeah. Just an attractive man. Sure. Yeah. So before we jump into Blade Runner 2049, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod. You can reach us there if you'd like a sticker or have a listener request. We have a listener request on deck for next episode, hopefully. All things... Oh, yeah. Hopefully will go smoothly, fingers crossed. Yeah. It's another long movie. We got to make it to it. We got to make it through this one first. (laughs) You can also just tweet at us, let us know what you think, or slide into the DMs about anything. Love engaging with the listeners. Actually, uh, update from the last episode, found someone to take my... Mulholland Drive Blu-ray. So, you know, I'm back in the market for the 4K. All right. Okay. <laughs> I got the huge import 4K yeah. that I was showing you before we started That's recording. Right. It's like a shoebox <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, it's physical media, a big part of our lives. Yeah, Shane reached out and was like, if you're looking for a taker, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, listen, because he was like, you know, I could buy you some drinks or whatever. I was like, listen, I just wanted to have a good home where it will be loved. Okay. That's it, you know? Fair enough. And you can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. Make sure you're subscribed. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. We always love seeing the new reviews come in. Of course, five stars only, please. Thank you. Definitely the preference. I don't know if I could handle anything less at this point. It's a sensitive time of the year. We're very fragile right now heading into the holidays. And you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby. That's right. You can find my scorching hot take of the 2006 Ryan Reynolds vehicle, Just Friends. Wow, yeah. Which is making waves all over Letterboxd. (laughs) Pissing people off. (laughs) It's time for some real talk about why movies aren't funny anymore and how it's been over a decade since we've had good comedies. Well, that would be the first time you'd hear a take like that on this show. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, the whole theme of this show is things used to be better. Exactly. (laughs) And why aren't you collecting Blu-rays like us? That's right. (laughs) All right. So we tackled the original Blade Runner from 1982. It was episode number 56. We released it on March 12th, 2017. It was an hour and 13 minutes, which I'm sure once we revisit Blade Runner in a future revisited, it'll be much longer than that. (laughs) Four hours. But yeah. it was also coming off of the Eli Roth aftermath. That's it was right. the episode after Knock Knock. I thought we even pushed it back too. Like I, I thought there was an earlier attempt at Blade Runner that we ended it's up moving back. It's possible. It's hard to remember way back then. But the original movie, I mean, just one of my favorites. Yeah, I watched it in preparation for this as well. That's just so to refresh. Good. I've actually watched it twice this year, so it was a double login on Letterboxd. Obviously, we'll get into what this means to the plot and everything, but like heading in to the Villeneuve version, it's hard to go into it with this looming question of is Deckard a replicant or whatnot. And it was great the way they were able to do it, keeping the mystery going. Because I think there's a lot hanging there with does this adversely impact your reaction to the first one if something is revealed here? Well, yeah, I think that this movie is a very successful sequel in a way that is pretty rare when it comes to sequels, especially sequels that are this long after the original. 
which doesn't necessarily apply to Alien and Aliens, which was like seven years. Sure. This was closer to 30, so obviously you have that fear going into it that something is going to fuck it up or this is just going to be terrible. I knew that we were in pretty capable hands with Villeneuve. Definitely. I did listen to an interview with him talking about being asked to come onto this project, which I always kind of like assumed coming off of like Arrival that this was more of something that he pursued, but I guess he was asked to do it. And he had some hesitations just because of his love for the original. Yeah, they asked... I don't know if they ever officially asked, but they had talked about Christopher Nolan as well, but yeah. he, he didn't want to jump into it. This is all coming after Ridley Scott stepped down. That's right, because he was originally attached. Yes. Instead, he you know would go on to do Alien Covenant, much to the rejoice from us on the show, based on the review we did of it recently. Yeah, well... I'm assuming that he had already committed. Yeah, that's the way that I've read it. I think sometimes you don't know what's going to happen with the money and the funding. Sure. You don't know what's a go. And this stuff seems like like it's in pre-production for like 10 years. years. Yeah. So Blade Runner 2049 was directed by Denis Villeneuve. It came out in 2017. It was written by Hampton Fancher, who was returning from the first film as one of the screenwriters, and Michael Green. The original film, Blade Runner, was based on Philip K. Dick's 1968 novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? But this was expanding upon that pre-existing universe and taking it a step further. Yeah, and I guess I would say even darker and grittier. Well, it's further into the dystopian future. The budget on the film was between 150 and 185 million. Kind of insane, I, I actually think. Considering Blade Runner was a box office disappointment in yeah. 1982, yes, it became like this, a cult film over the years. Right, but. that has really lived on and become this thing that continues to gain fans over the years. But it just seems nuts that a kind of a dark sci-fi movie would get that big of a budget. The box office worldwide was $259.3 million, which was a big disappointment despite mostly acclaim across the board from critics and audiences. A lot of different things were blamed on the disappointing box office. And if you're confused thinking that that sounds like an $80 million profit, give or take, it's not. It lost money. Yeah. If something costs $185 million, that means, first of all, it probably costs two fifty. And then you're not even counting the advertising, which yeah, is probably marketing. another $100 million. So even when you factor in DVD, Blu-ray, 4K sales, plus the TV deals to go to HBO and all that stuff, you're not getting close to whatever they spent. It was a big investment. It didn't make good on it. And it pretty much eliminated the potential for sequels in the near future. I'm now, not... obviously, nothing ever really dies. Yeah. So right. there probably will be more Blade Runner someday. I mean, it's always fun when we get this opportunity. Like, a lot of things have to come together for a movie like this to get this budget, right? I mean, they're not just throwing this stuff around. It's not like Blade Runner is, like, a known moneymaker franchise. Oh, for sure, yeah. The film did earn five Academy Award nominations, and it won two, including Best Cinematography for Roger Deakins, who is one of the best cinematographers working out there and he finally won his oscar oh yeah this looks awesome it always pops up on 
those Instagram that's like the color palette things of like movies. Like yeah. I always see this movie pop up there. And best visual effects it also won. And it is stunning looking. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen in terms of its look. Looks incredible. Which is saying something considering how much CGI and computer yeah. stuff is in the film. Well, Villeneuve definitely has the Nolan thing to a degree where he wants to do as much with like real props as you can. Obviously, a universe like this, you're going to need a certain level of did CGI. Did they use miniatures in this like they did in the original? I don't know about that. It doesn't seem it like doesn't it. It doesn't look like it. There's a texture to the original film that makes it seem like you're like, what city is this? Yeah, When I know. they're flying right. over at the beginning, but it's just miniatures. Yeah, yeah. No, the first one looks amazing, too. It was also nominated for Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Production Design. Yeah, I will say this, the soundtrack, while I, I love it, it does seem like it's a little bit derivative of the original. Like, Well, that was intentional. Yeah, I, I get that. Villeneuve actually brought on Hans Zimmer to try to recreate something right. similar yeah. to Vangelis. Which I think it's is successful. The reason Vangelis, or is that how you say his name? Yeah, I don't know. The reason he doesn't do it is because after Blade Runner, there was a whole dispute where it just turned into a whole thing over money or something between right. him and the studio and it was a whole ordeal where you couldn't even get the complete blade runner soundtrack for like the longest time that's right it took decades basically to get the entire thing that was finally resolved but i guess involving him was like a non-starter so zimmer is brought in to sort of recreate it at, at various points but even beyond the music the sound is incredible oh yeah all of the sound effects and everything it, it does sound very cool and yeah, to further what we were saying as far as it being a sequel rarity, as far as something that expands upon the original and is so good, you can't help but feel hashtag blessed ha. sometimes. For sure. So much of what we have to put up with when it comes to movies, when it comes to music, when it comes to anything, when you reach a certain age, obviously when you're younger, you're more open to everything. Right. And then once you get older, more and more things are a disappointment. But <laughs> yes. every now and again, right. you're lucky and you get to go to the theater and experience I this know. firsthand. And so many things have to come together for it to work, right? Like even getting Harrison Ford back on board, there had to be years where that was not a guarantee that they could do that. Yeah, it was definitely script dependent. He had to like the script. Right. But just in recent times, we have... Harrison Ford returned to Star Wars, yeah, Blade Runner, and there's going to be a new Indiana Jones movie, wow. yeah, maybe next year. Or, it seemed or like for, for years, year like him returning to the Star Wars franchise was just a never gonna happen thing. Sequel talk for Blade Runner started in the 1990s, but similarly to Alien, there were a lot of roadblocks. First and foremost, were licensing issues based upon the original novel and any rights to be able to make sequels from the material. This took forever. I think sometimes the time apart is for the best. Yeah, well, they hit a home run with this story. Right. It's hard to imagine what a sequel to Blade Runner would have looked like earlier because they probably would not have thought of this as the direction to I go. I wouldn't think. It, it probably would have just been like an immediate continuation of the Deckard Rachel. Yes, which would have been cool, but it oh, just yeah. would have been something completely different. Right. And I think what we got ends up being a lot cooler because, and this is a point that I'm going to try to make as we go, I do think that the sequel is more a sequel in terms of the ideas than a story. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. The story is there too, obviously. The the through line with Deckard and what happens with him and right. Rachel after the events of the first. But, but they're but, pushing it forward thematically. Yeah, the protagonist of the film ends up being this everyman in a sense. Yeah. He's caught up in something that is bigger than him. And so what you're really talking about is what are the ideas of the original film right. Blade Runner? And it's all about what it means to be human, humanity, empathy, the lack thereof, what do memories mean, things like that. And this film just expands upon that idea and takes it further and further in that direction. And it adds a wrinkle that I was stunned by. (laughs) I'm talking about the big thing of the whole movie, the whole point, where you're just like, I could not have imagined this is what this would have been. Yeah, I would say they pushed that through through a multitude of characters, too. It's not just through our, our hero Oh, yeah. I got to say, leading up to this movie, this was one of the ones I can remember. They did a pretty good job of like keeping it under wraps leading up to the movie. I'm sure it was out there for people to find. But if you're like me and not going to seek it out, I didn't really hear about it. Going into it, you're like, okay, we have this thing with the first movie about Deckard and what he actually is at the end of the movie. What are they going to do with this Ryan Gosling Blade Runner character? Is it going to be a similar situation? So then they just like rip the bandaid off, like and reveal in the first scene that he is a replicant. Yeah, which was a surprise, and it kind of almost like puts you off balance right in the beginning of the movie because you're like, okay, but then obviously they're able to kind of like take that and connect it back and and push those ideas forward again. Another big theme ends up being choice and what it means to have choice and what you do with your choice. And K Ryan Gosling's character, even though he ends up not being who he thinks he might be. He plays a big part in the story based off of choice, which is something that ties in with being a human, having a soul, yes, humanity, empathy, all of those um, things. opportunity to take the human avenue is sort of like his consolation prize after he figures out his fate. And the ambiguity of Deckard remains, and I think that that's important to the story, because once you realize that what Blade Runner ends up being about is more of the ideas of empathy and humanity, then not knowing the truth about who Deckard is, is he a replicant, is he a human, adds an interesting wrinkle that I think if you answered the question, it simplifies it yeah. and it takes away from it. The intrigue is definitely better. And whether he is or not has no impact on the miracle at the center of this film. That's right. Because either way, it's something that no one thought could have happened. That's right. Ridley Scott always said that Deckard was a replicant. Harrison Ford said, no, I didn't really get (laughs) Villeneuve's take on it or anybody in the current film. I think they probably just didn't want to commit one way or the other. That's right. I don't know that I have a feel of liking one better than the other. I, I, I like it being unknown. I think before Blade Runner 2049, I liked the idea of him being a replicant. And I think after Blade Runner 2049, I liked the idea of him being a human more. Okay. I can't really explain why. That's That's just sort of the vibe that I get. But going back and revisiting Blade Runner The Final Cut after seeing Blade Runner 2049 and thinking of him as a human, but not sure if he's a human, because that's what the center of... Deckard's struggle ends up being by the end of the first film, especially when you watch the final cut with the unicorn right. item and all yes. that stuff. It it just plants a seed into your head. How do you know? I think about it all the because time. Because Rachel didn't know yeah, in yeah. the first film. Right. 
So how do you know? In a world where this is all possible and they can create a fake human and implant and create, memories. Right, fake memories. And yeah, and I think the idea of what is memory, what is the value of memory, all of that stuff is something that yeah. Blade Runner tries to explore the, over both films. The unicorn dream in Blade Runner is so awesome because it seems so out of another movie because it actually is. Yeah, it was from Legend, right? Yeah, or, right. Oh, the, no, Legend would have come after. But uh, but it was footage for Legend, I thought. For the right, final cut, yeah, because right? it yeah. wasn't in the other cut. Right, yeah. But it ends up making it look so cool because it just seems so out of place. Yeah. In this way that works so well. I will say that Neander Wallace seems to think that Deckard is a replicant. I, okay. I get that vibe yeah. from that conversation, that that's what Wallace seems to think. does feel heavily hinted at. Yeah, but it doesn't ever seem to be addressed 100% right. clear. So we don't know. Blade Runner 2049 provides us with a dystopian vision of the future, but there is some nuance in the presentation, and I think that they don't dumb it down for the audience, which can sometimes lead to some pushback. Because it is a very misogynistic world. Yeah, and they throw a lot at you quickly. Something just gets explained, and then like you just move on to the next thing very Well, I'm quickly. talking about very specifically the depiction of women. Okay. It's a very misogynistic world, sexualized images of women everywhere. Many of, of the women are portraying prostitutes or holographic housewives. Yeah. Or they're also the victims of brutal deaths. If they aren't one of those two things. Although so are the men, aren't they? I mean, it kind of just seems like a dark place that we're living in. So there's a couple of different viewpoints on this. Rachel Keynes of Movie Pilot says, The movie is about secondary citizens, replicants, orphans, women, slaves. Just by depicting these secondary citizens and subjugation doesn't mean that it is supportive of these depictions, they are a condemnation, which I would agree with. We are sort of living in a world now where depiction does necessarily mean endorsement. I always take it that the off-world, that's where society is. They it talk could about be. going off-world. Well, um, no, because at the end of the film, Wallace is taking Deckard off-world to do shit that's illegal. Well, yeah, he's got a special, he's got a Fifty Shades of Grey room. <laughs> <laughs> off-world. But I don't know. Well, and maybe it's not any better off. But wherever we are is not a good place to be. And I kind of think that collectively for everyone who's there. It might not be a good place for anybody. Yeah, yeah. Helen Lewis of The New Statesman takes it a little bit further. And she calls it an uneasy feminist parable about controlling the means of reproduction. Hmm. The villain Neander Wallace is consumed by rage that women can do something he cannot which is also a big part of the film, his right. obsession with reproduction. She says, quote, this is kind of a long one, but I think this is, this is good. Let's I think it's it. worth it. Yeah. Fertility is the perfect theme for the dystopia of Blade Runner 2049 because of the Western elite anxiety that overeducated, overliberated women are having fewer children or choosing to opt out of childbearing altogether. One in five women is now childless by the age of 45. The rates are higher among women who have been to university. Feminism is one potential solution to this problem, removing the barriers which make women feel that motherhood is a closing of doors. Another is to take flight and find another exploitable class to replace human females. Maybe androids don't dream of electric sheep, 
but some human men certainly dream of electric wombs. Okay. Pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. So basically what she's saying is, in this dystopian future, men who are uncomfortable with the idea of women choosing to not be mothers, who have that choice, who have that agency, then decide that they can create a race of slaves, replicants, Uh and once they figure out how to have them have children then women become obsolete. And that's why you're seeing in this precursor to that world, the world that Wallace wants, you're already seeing the idea of fake women in the form of yeah. whatever program Joy is. You have the that's right. the pleasure models of replicants. A lot of the replicants are prostitutes. Yeah, most of, if not all, the replicants you see Wallace interact with, like in defense of this narrative, are female. Yeah. And maybe exclusively. the ones Except that- for Kay. Well, yeah, you're right, except for Kay, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, and also Batista. But he's not in a scene with him. I was just saying, like, the ones that Wallace is oh, actually yeah. interacting with in the movie. Plus, yeah, Batista's like a holdover from yep. the That's right. Tyrell days. He's a Replicant 8 series, uh, Nexus 8. Yeah. We're yeah, well, those were the series. people that were pushing back against the idea that it was wrong, like the movie yeah. was sexist and misogynist. These were the voices that were saying, no, this is condemning this that's the whole point of depicting it like this because a lot of people romanticize dystopian or or cyberpunk futures but the truth is in those dystopian futures whether you're playing a video game or you're watching a movie or whatever if this was real this is what it would be like second class citizens women having fewer roles caste systems things like that yeah it's like the uh, medieval ages but in the future Sort of, yeah. Another big part of Blade Runner 2049 is how it takes the idea, which is very common in science fiction, of the Chosen One, especially the Matrix or the Star Wars prequels, and turns it on its head. It plays into the idea that everyone's the main character in their own movie. Right. Which sort of plays into the social media narcissism of today. Certainly. It's also convenient that the film takes place in Los Angeles, albeit a very... The capital of... Yeah, <laughs> a very fucked up version of Los Angeles. Right. But yes, that's the the epicenter of people who all think that they're a star. Yeah. And it plays into the vanity of not only Kay's character, who is not even human, but also the audience. But it takes that and it turns it on its head. And we, we you know over time, we figure out that Kay is not the chosen one. And he is almost insignificant to the bigger story and man what a humiliating beatdown it is for Kay with these realizations later i think that woman cleans it up nice for him when she's like we all wish yeah we that's true but i mean at first well i oh, think you the thought idea it was is you well that's yeah. a part where they don't hold your hand through it because i think the idea is probably that well what should we spoil everything now i, I think probably matter. the memory that Kay is basing it on is in a lot of them. Right. They all have that memory. Yeah, because obviously she's reusing these. Yes. She sells them, <laughs> these memories. Her best memories are the ones that really happen to her. That's right. So let's we're go being through a this. Bit cryptic because we'll actually explain it in full later. <laughs> Which, Hopefully. By the way, if there is a movie that you should watch before listening, <laughs> this is definitely on that list. I think sometimes you could get through an episode... And rewatch a movie and still enjoy it, but I feel like you should watch this one first. Yeah, well, first watch Blade Runner, the final cut, which yeah. I think is the one that syncs up best with this. Right. Although, I mean, I'm sure they all do. 
but it's the best version of Blade Runner. Absolutely. The final cut, and then watch this, which I don't think there will be any more cuts of this film. I think Villeneuve said that the theatrical cut was the cut. All right. I like that. Will there be sequels in the future? Who knows? I I remember when the movie bombed, essentially, and Villeneuve was talking about the potential for sequels. He was getting a lot of shit from people being like the privilege of a man, (laughs) which... Believe me, I, I roll my eyes at a lot of that shit, like the reactionary tweets, but I did think it was funny that the balls that he had to be like yeah. talking about a $200 million sequel to a movie that fucking bombed. Right, but I mean, you gotta, in defense of these people, it's their work, it's what they do. Studios put no, up I know. money. I, you know? He was coming at it from the perspective of an artistic one. He wasn't right. really thinking about the money or the box office, I'm sure, but I think it rubbed people the wrong way to just have this guy... Sure on the heels of the movie not doing well just being like yeah we could maybe do another one it's like i don't think so right but who knows maybe in the the days of streaming now that could be an option for hbo max or netflix or something i'm fine with this ending here i think i am too but i'm being realistic yeah (laughs) nothing ever ends there's a current cartoon isn't there i think probably yeah and there's always something going on with this stuff that's right okay in 2049, which is 30 years after the events of Blade Runner, bioengineered humans known as replicants are slaves. So right away, some major differences from where we left off in the original film. You're right. In the original film, replicants were essentially outlawed on Earth. Yes. Because of some uprisings and some violent incidents. And so they were used for off-world work. That's right. And like fighting battles, it seemed like. With what, we don't know. Yeah, but that is like, some of them were like soldier. (laughs) Yes. Like warriors. Yes. So there is an implication that there is life on other planets, although that does not factor into the movies at all. yeah. I do think that in Alien Covenant, or one of the later Ridley Scott films, I want to say it was Covenant, but I'm not sure. There's a little Blade Runner Easter egg, which implies that they take place in the same universe. Okay. Or something like that, like a... Tyrell Corporation logo or something somewhere. I don't know. Something like that. But in 2049, Tyrell Corporation is gone, and we have the rise of industrialist Nyander Wallace, played by Jared Leto. And in the meantime, between the two films, there was a giant blackout, which I think is a pretty cool narrative device to help explain the mystery surrounding things. Right. The blackout is sort of a la Fight Club when they blow up the financial records or yeah. whatever they do at the end of the film. Maybe I read too much into it, but it always has a feel to me like maybe there was something intentional around the blackout. It's possible. That's never given to you in the movie, but you wonder I think about... either way, whether it was intentional or not, it's an indication of the danger of a solely digital world. Right. If there's no hard copies of things, like it could all vanish very quickly yeah if something were to happen where there's some massive surge of electricity or something. i don't know how that yeah. would happen but you know what i mean right for those of you maybe a little newer or not sure replicants are fictional bioengineered humanoids which originated in the original film in 1982 the Nexus series of replicants are virtually identical to adult humans, but depending on the model, some possess superior strength, speed, agility, resilience, and intelligence to varying degrees. A replicant can be detected by means of the fictional Voigt-Kampf test in which emotional responses are provoked 
and a replicant's nonverbal responses differ from those of a human. A version of that test referred to as a baseline is taken by K in this film, which yeah. we'll get to later. But I wanted to bring this up. Can I say something about the replicants real quick? Because I think when I first watched Blade Runner back in the day, as they call it, I was thinking of these are like robots. Well, that's why I br- that's exactly why I read that. Okay. All right. Because but I'm not robots. Right, right. It's not like Ash yeah, in yeah. Alien. It's like Jurassic Park. They're like yes. bioengineered. Yes. Like they found the mosquito. <laughs> Which makes what happens in this movie make more sense. Yes. <laughs> because otherwise you're like, how could this be? Right. <laughs> but you see that Kay bleeds in this film. That's right. Yeah. They do have reactions to pain and stimuli like it, normal human beings. It does seem like they have a higher threshold to physical damage that they can take. Yes, they yeah. can be engineered in certain ways to be slightly modified from a normal human, but right. they are essentially the same material as a human. Yes. The big question mark, which is never fully addressed in either film, is how do they start the engine? In other words, if you're able to create the materials of a human being... The skin, the bone, the cells, the DNA, etc. How do you start it? How do you get it going? How do you start <laughs> the engine? That's the big mystery. You know, I think if you dive into like religions and stuff, they associate that with a soul, which right. is a big question mark in Blade Runner is like the idea of having a soul versus not having a soul. But we don't know how they just well, bring these things to life. Something that is a big part of the original movie that is not really a big part of this one is these older models in the original one the idea of them having like an expiration date is like a big part of it yes well that plays into the different nexus models yeah nexus six replicants like roy batty from the first film have a safety mechanism namely a four-year lifespan to prevent them from developing empathetic abilities and therefore immunity to the test which is the void conf test right but nexus seven replicants like rachel were limited experimental models by the Tyrell Corporation with all other capabilities, which we don't really fully understand or learn about until this film. Yes. So they change and they adapt. And then the question at the center of Deckard from the first film is, well, if he's a replicant, he's obviously beyond a Nexus 6 because he has an open-ended lifespan, which is something they would develop later. Yeah. Like the replicants in this film. Like, K does not have a four-year lifespan. Yeah, if you're putting the pieces together, we start off this movie, Ryan Gosling, K, is a Blade Runner. The last Blade Runner that we knew was Deckard. We're now at the time where Blade Runners are replicants, although it's not clear if that's, like, across the board. Like our... Yeah, we don't really meet any other ones. Right. Like, I don't know if at this point all Blade Runners are replicants. Maybe they always were. <laughs> yeah. K, played by Ryan Gosling, which is short for his serial number, KD6-3.7, or 3.7, I think is how they say it, is a Nexus 9 replicant working for the LAPD as a Blade Runner, which by 2049 means he hunts and retires rogue replicants. It used to mean they would hunt any replicant, but now it's only a specific kind. It's the older models who are still hanging around. It's sort of like the difference between Ash and Bishop in Alien, where Bishop's like, well, we changed all this stuff. Now we have programs that can't hurt humans and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, we're in much more of a replicant world now in the second one. Yeah, replicants are slaves in the sense that they will do as they are told and as they are programmed to do. There's not 
as much free will as they may have allowed in the past, i.e. the rogue replicants in the first film who come back to Earth and start causing a little trouble. That's right. I don't want to get into the whole idea of the first film. Is like, are they really the ones causing trouble, or what is the deal (laughs) exactly? Is Deckard a piece of shit? (laughs) He shoots a woman in the back. That's right. An unarmed woman. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, wait, what? Kay tracks down a Nexus 8 replicant named Sapper Morton, played by Dave Batista, on a lonely yeah. protein farm out there in somewhere in California. I gotta say, this opening scene is fucking badass. This fight scene? It's pretty cool and unexpected, because you're like, what is happening? Where is this? Yeah, there's like so much tension. There's no build-up to it. Yeah, it's you're a just thrust right into it. Great opening scene. Yeah, it's a weird place, too, because the indoors are very antiquated. They seem like from the 30s yeah. or something, like the 1930s. That's right. You have no idea what this sapper dude is up to. He's farming grubs or some sort of weird mealy worms, which I guess have protein or something. It's horrifying and gross. Yeah, some life that he's living out here. I love seeing Batista put on those tiny glasses. Yeah, that is funny. <laughs> those wire glasses. Yeah. They get into this brutal fight once it becomes clear why Kay is there. You police. Are you Sapper Morton? Civic number NK68514. I'm a farmer. I saw that. What do you farm? It's a protein farm. Wallace Design. Is that what I smell? Grow that just for me. Garlic. Garlic. Go and try some. No, thank you. I prefer to keep an empty stomach until the hard part of the day is done. How long you been here? Since 2020. But you haven't always been a farmer, have you? Your bag. It's colonial medical use. Military issue. Where were you? Calantha? Must have been brutal. Plan on taking me in. Take a look inside. Mr. Morton, if taking you in is an option, I would much prefer that to the alternative. I'm sure you knew it would be someone in time. I'm sorry it had to be me. Good as any. Now, if you don't mind, if you could just look up and to the left, please. Oh, oh, oh. 
Please don't get up. How's it feel? Killing your own kind. I don't retire my own kind because we don't run. Only older models do. After some struggle, Kay manages to retire Morton, but not before he drops some bombshells. I do like when Morton's like, how does it feel killing your own kind? And that's basically how you figure that's out. That's right. And that's what I mean. The first time I ever saw this in the theater, you're like, oh, shit. They're just like ripping the bandaid off right in the beginning. Yeah. Like he's a replicant. That's it. Deal with it, people. And then he says to Kay, you've never seen a miracle, which is our first indication that Maybe yeah. there's something going on. Before being killed quickly thereafter. Worth fighting for. Worth defending. Almost by chance, as he's going to leave, Kay notices a small flower on the ground at the foot of a dead tree, almost as if someone placed the flower there intentionally. It will be revealed in time that there is a box buried underneath the ground there, and the box contains the remains of a female replicant who died during a cesarean section, demonstrating that replicants can reproduce biologically something previously thought impossible. News that will send shockwaves through this world. Yes, and we will find out over time that some characters will interpret this news one way and some will interpret it another way. And that almost universally it's seen as good news, but for different reasons. (laughs) Big news for all. Yeah, did you get a sense right away that it was going to be Rachel? Uh, Is that what yes, you thought that's immediately? What, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. I did too. Right. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> but, I just thought it had There was to be. also a part of me that was like, oh, so we're not getting Rachel in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Although we do, but right. we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Officer K, D6-3.7. Let's begin. Ready? Yes, sir. Recite your baseline. In blood black nothingness began to spin. A system of cells interlinked within cells interlinked within cells interlinked within one stem. Fuck off, good job. And dreadfully distinct against the dark, a tall white fountain played. Cells. Cells. Have you ever been in an institution? Cells. Cells. Do they keep you in a cell? Cells. Cells. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you long for having your heart interlinked? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you dream about being interlinked? Interlinked. What's it like to hold your child in your arms? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you feel that there's a part of you that's missing? Interlinked. Interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Why don't you say that three times? Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. We're done. Constant K. You can pick up your bonus. Thank you, sir. When Kay goes back to headquarters, he has to take his test, which is baseline. And I think it's cool that they've evolved the Voight-Kampf test 
to be something that replicants have to take all the time to make sure they're not feeling empathy or not changing yeah their emotional or emotionless responses it's dark. to make sure that they can't right develop a human personality or to be closer to human than is comfortable for everyone yeah you don't really know the thresholds but it seems like if you fail one that's just kind of it he kind of gets a second chance after his failed test later but yeah that's because he lies right that he said he did something great or at least great (laughs) in his boss's mind is this a hundred percent automated to you it seems like it is but then it kind of seems like there is a guy actually interacting yeah i think there is a guy yeah some things that you notice pretty early on, the environment is completely fucked. It is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it's, really. It seems to be snowing nonstop, which is even worse than 30 years earlier in this world. Dark all the time. Where it was raining all yeah, the time. Right. So now LA has gone from rain all the time to now the possibility of snow. Yeah. I want to see like the American gigolo in this universe, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I would say that LA in the original Blade Runner is very heavily influenced by Tokyo and the cities in Japan has like a very strong Japanese influence, which is definitely still present in 2049. But there's something even bleaker about it in this one, whereas there's a, a real urban feel in the original Blade Runner. When you get those shots of Kay in his car flying above the city and you look down, you can see those little like pockets of neon. Uh Uh-huh. Where it seems like, oh, this is like a happening place, like it's a bustling city with the neon going on. But you mostly see just death. It's just gray blocks. And you're like, oh, this place sucks. Nothing can top the first one for me in terms of like the set design. Oh, yeah. It just looks awesome. The whole world that was created. And this one, while it is awesome and looks awesome, obviously it has a way more digital feel to it. Some of the people that work at LAPD, Wood Harris, a.k.a. Avon Barksdale right. from The Wire. In, a, in one scene. Yeah, he doesn't even get to come back. And that David Dasmalshian guy. Yeah. Recognizable. Who, who plays Coco, I think is his name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's been in like everything. He was just in the Suicide Squad. Gets one more scene. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, Avon, what's he supposed to be? Is he a Blade Runner or is he just a guy that's No, he's LAPD. just someone that works at the LAPD. Yeah. It doesn't seem like they have a ton of Blade Runners or, or at least replicants. Right. Because everyone's willing to call just Kay a skin job and stuff. So talking seems shit like to he's him. not liked. Yeah. So I think we would be remiss if we went any further without talking about joy. <laughs> it's time to bring a little joy into this podcast. It should maybe dominate the, the <laughs> podcast certainly an actress that dominates it oh yeah and my life and my dreams (laughs) joy is Kay's holographic girlfriend she is a program sounding great so far played by Ana de Armas who is a favorite on this show yeah is that the preferred pronunciation that's how I've heard it pronounced yeah Yeah. I got I like our old way Armas yeah Ana de Armas I think either one is fine. All right. <laughs> I don't think she's going to be listening to <laughs> no. this. You don't think she'll be upset? No. So Joy is an artificial intelligence projected as a hologram designed and commercially sold by Wallace Corporation to be a fully customizable live-in romantic companion. Uh-huh. Kay, an artificial intelligence himself, has a Joy copy but treats her as a person and tries to have a real romantic relationship with her well, wondering about how, quote-unquote, real it can truly be, given that she is programmed to like him. 
Which, right here, you're like, this seems like enough to make him fail his test. Yeah. Well, that's the, well, that's the thing. The double life. That's already. the whole thing of these yeah. movies is what is empathy? Where does it come from? How do you show it? What is the point of it? Right. Is that what makes you human? I think that if you go back into Blade Runner, you start to realize that the replicants sometimes show more humanity and more empathy than Deckard, who is supposed to be a human, at least in the audience's mind. Right. Which also makes you question the reality of Deckard. But even beyond Deckard, the other people who hunt him down, or Tyrell, who, when confronted with his creation as if he's God, uh-huh. and Roy Batty shows up and begging him for more time, and he just is like, no, like get the fuck out of here, you're just nothing. a dizzying journey. Yeah, it's just, who is human, and... <laughs> And what does it mean to be human? Yeah, not us. It was a day. Huh? It was a day. Would you read to me? It'll make you feel better. You hate that book. I don't want to read either. Let's dance. Do you want to dance or do you want to open your present? What present? This one. What's the occasion? Let's just say it's our anniversary. Is it? No, but let's just say that it is. Okay? Happy anniversary. An emanator. Now, it would be great if every day after work I came back to my apartment and I had a holographic Ana de Armas I was thinking to strutting myself, around in her little outfits. What a dream this is. <laughs> How far yeah. away are we from this? <laughs> I know. How much longer? Please. <laughs> Could you not find yourself just falling in love with this program? I mean, it is kind of similar to uh, the movie Her. Oh, yeah. In fact, I'm sure you have to have this written down because yeah. the one scene in particular the sex scene is basically like the, the exact same idea yeah we'll get into that more i think this actually takes some of the ideas of her and pushes it even further uh-huh. though even though it's not all about joy or anything but it when you tie it in with the pre-established blade runner universe right it just dives deeper into like what all of this stuff means the whole her thing well do you think people are gonna buy this guy falling in love with an operating system it's like well it sounds like scarlett johansson like, well, okay, imagine this yeah. one. You actually see it. I know. <laughs> yeah, there's no question for me in this one. And there's nothing in the film to indicate that she's not real. Right. She acts real, and she seems invested in his story, which does make you think, can an artificial intelligence that's basically just a program that projects onto a holograph, can that become sentient? Can that have emotion? It seems like she does. It feels that way. 
either that or I'm falling for it too. <laughs> you know, we want to believe. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Please. K gives Joy an emanator, which allows for mobile transportation. Because so previously she's tied to this console in his apartment and uh-huh. cannot leave, but now she's gone mobile on an emanator. So he allows her to come outside with him. She seems to be really enjoying the rain. That's right. I feel like she's emotionally overcome by this new freedom. But that's the thing. Is that just what they want us to think? Yeah. You know? And that's what you never know. Kay's supervisor or superior, Lieutenant Joshi, played by Robin Wright. Got kind of a tough exterior in this one. Fears that the discovery of the deceased pregnant replicant could lead to a war between humans and replicants. Yeah, it's a limited chain of command that we see. It seems like she's calling a lot of shots. Well, she probably doesn't even want to tell anybody else, right. even a superior, because this yeah. is like such a monumental thing That we in just her mind. need to bury it. Because what needs to be made clear is that this is the spark of hope and for a slave of people like a slave race of people that they've built and created and people i don't know if you're looking around but this is a hopeless universe we're in yeah it's a belief in the future because replicants believe that they are created for one thing and one thing only whatever that is whatever their job is and whatever they're told to do but all of a sudden in this movie they're saying that reproduction the ability to reproduce is the essence of life Uh because then there's a future then there's hope for the future and so if you give that to the replicants, they can't just be slaves to regular humans anymore. She's just like, I don't like where this is going. Let's just put an end to it. She orders Kay to find and retire the replicant child to hide the truth. For those of you unclear, retire just means kill. <laughs> Erase everything, all trace, she says. And- <laughs> That's right. You're just like a replicant. I'm here to retire you. It's like, oh, okay. I just get to like read my newspaper and <laughs> drink lemonade. Give me a lemonade. gold watch. Yeah, sounds great. Kay says, I never retired something that was born before, and shows a little bit of hesitancy, which is maybe an indication of empathy. But this baby is the miracle that Sapper was alluding to. This is the thing that is the big secret of the world that only some people seem to know about, mostly replicants. She was a replicant. Pregnant. The world is built on a wall that separates kind. Tell either side there's no wall, you bought a war or a slaughter. So what you saw didn't happen. Yes, ma'am. It is my job to keep order. That's what we do here. We keep order. You want it gone? Erase everything. Even the child? All trace. You have anything more to say? I've never retired something that was born before. What's the difference? To be born is to have a soul, I guess. Are you telling me no? I wasn't aware that was an option, madam. Attaboy. Hey. 
You've been getting on fine without one. What's that, man? A soul. I think the weird difference between having it be a robot and a bioengineered artificial human is the whole idea of the brain thing. Because you're used to like the idea of artificial intelligence. But this is a bioengineered human. I don't understand like the whole brain activity piece of it. The engine, as you say. Well, how they make it work? Yeah. Well, like, I guess they're saying that they can build the cells and then the cells grow like a normal human would right, grow in the there's womb. Right, but there is no soul. The part that makes you have emotional judgment. Right. right? And that's why they implant memories because it stabilizes yeah. the replicant. I know. I, I get it. it because just even K, who knows yeah. he's a replicant, has fake memories. And that's he right. knows that they're fake. Uh-huh. But the reason is because if there's just nothingness there, it causes them to go haywire. Right. It adds a level of comfort and humanity to them, uh-huh. just enough, like a, a palatable amount of humanity. Okay. Yes. <laughs> they don't want them to be humans. Just to level them off. Yeah, it's basically a dark world where they're like, emotion is bad. That's why we say more human than human. Yeah. Basically better than human because humans' weaknesses are their emotions and their empathy. We Absolutely need everyone to be... <laughs> soulless sociopath that's right who will just show up to work and do whatever we say and that's why the sun never comes out <laughs> yeah Kay visits the wallace corporation's headquarters which is the successor to the defunct tyrell corporation uh-huh. in the manufacture of replicants and this definitely feels like a throwback to the original having this scene that's it's like a pivotal scene it's like a giant massive black pyramid it's an ominous building in Uh the center of the city they're able to go through old records because he brings the serial number from the dna of the replicant bones and some of the hair this leads to our introduction of love who i love sylvia hoax you love love that's right i really do and i knew i was gonna say that i'm like i hate that her name is love l-u-v yeah but i am in on this character in a big bad way Love is a Nexus 9 replicant and personal assistant to Neander Wallace. He entrusts her as his right-hand agent running day-to-day affairs over Wallace Corporation. She's an absolute badass. As Kay notes at one point, Wallace was fond enough of her to give her a name and not just a serial number like him. But yeah, you call it out there. It is important to point out she's not just Wallace's muscle or something. I mean, she's like clearly a big stake owner in the company. She seems like she's involved in the day-to-day business at a high level as well well saying she's like an owner might be stretching i don't know if she's actually she's probably still disposable in one sense sure yeah (laughs) i'm sure in wallace's mind he could just create another one oh i'm sure yeah but there's a connection there love has an outer air of poise but with a powerful fury simmering barely underneath but i think it goes beyond just the fury that's interesting about her she has real human emotions that oh, yeah. p- that pour out of her. She's actually way more all over the place than Kay, even. <laughs> yeah, we could speculate what her reactions are to things, especially the tears, which come out several times. Right. I do think that she loves Wallace and is upset at his obsession over a replicant that she thinks is better than her. Right. I think that that's where it comes from. Oh, yeah. Is jealousy. But she does her job anyway. And you can speculate about it, but when she announces at the end, I'm the best one. Yeah. Obviously, I think that's like an important line for what you're supposed to take out of her character. Yeah, she's like, fuck this pregnancy bullshit. I'm the best. Right. 
Love brings Kay down to the very old archives and retrieves more information regarding this mystery replicant. An old video is found. It's the Voigt-Kampf test administered to Rachel by Deckard in the first film, and this confirms what some of us may have already been suspecting, that the mother in question is Rachel, who was played by Sean Young in the original film. With Rachel- just a really unique look. Should be pointed out, I think. What do you mean? Her whole like hair look. Oh, my God. When she takes her hair out, I put this in my review on Letterboxd. Oh, yeah. When she starts unfurling that hair, it's very sexy to me. That was certainly a pivotal moment in my life, I would say. <laughs> Rachel was an experimental replicant designed specifically by Dr. Eldon Tyrell, which is something that we are only given bits and pieces of the information, like the full scope of what the deal is in the original film. Like It's never made clear to us as the audience watching Blade Runner that Rachel will be able to reproduce, but that is what is implied in the sequel here. Well, that yeah. that's what why she was special. They're never even really building towards something like that. Yeah, the only difference that we could really detect in the first film is that she doesn't know that she's a replicant. She's that real, right. in a sense. Like, she doesn't even know. Yeah. And that comes as a huge shock to her. And what, <laughs> and what they imply in this movie is that there was sort of a plan. Well, that's Wallace's theory. I right. don't know how that makes sense, though, because what's the deal with, like, Rutger Hauer and Daryl Hannah? That's like, true. Wh- isn't that why he's involved in any of this? It's hard to connect some of this stuff. Or maybe Deckard just was convenient. Like, he wasn't the mark all along, but he comes along, and it, Tyrell it, just decides, like, okay, this guy's good. He played the part. Or if Deckard is a replicant the whole time, then maybe, yeah, there is some bigger conspiracy at, at play. We don't really know. Even just listening to the Voigt-Kampf test, Kay detects Rachel's romantic ties to Deckard, and he starts formulating an idea, and he understands that maybe Deckard is someone he needs to find if Deckard's still alive. So we get a quick scene talking to Gaff in a retirement home, and Gaff is played by Edward James almost Coming uh, back. A holdover yeah. from the first film. An unlikely holdover, I would say, because what do you see this guy in? Yeah. In the whatever 30 years in between, <laughs> you know? I'm sure he was in stuff. Okay. He makes an origami sheep, by the way. He's a kind of a mysterious character in the original movie. Which ties in with do androids dream of electric sheep, first of all, but also maybe the idea of sheep being put on a journey that they don't know, like just sort of blindly going through something. That's right. But yeah, it's hard to really decipher his role in the first film, which I think is where a lot of the original theorizing about Deckard being a replicant comes from. Uh, Yeah, I think he drives a lot of it because he's so ambiguous. He's following him around as if to make sure nothing goes awry. He's like babysitting what's going on in the first film. Yelling things from across buildings in an ominous way. (laughs) It's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? (laughs) It's just like a a good point. (laughs) I don't know. Well, if you don't want to buy into... Deckard being a replicant then he's basically babysitting him so that he doesn't fall in love with Rachel and he's like well Rachel's a rogue replicant now something you know my friends have had to do for me over the years (laughs) make sure you don't fall in love with a fake human (laughs) with anyone Wallace Corporation CEO Neander Wallace played by Jared Leto shows up onto the scene they originally wanted David Bowie he was the first choice but by the time they made this movie Bowie was dead yeah but that's the vibe they were going for. Okay. I think there's a Bowie vibe here. Wallace is definitely weird. 
I can't. What <laughs> oh, is, you think? What is the deal with it? Like with his eyes and everything? He's blind. Okay. And Jared Leto, because he's insane and ridiculous, wore opaque contact lenses, so he actually was blind. Wow. Okay. Because he's that much of a method actor, just annoying everybody nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> Running into walls. It's sort of like how on that movie he did with Denzel that just came out this year, uh-huh. The Little Things. I'm sure he wasn't pulling any of that shit with Denzel. Oh, yeah. And I'm pretty sure in the scene with Harrison Ford, he wasn't pulling any of that shit. No. Ford would have walked right off set and <laughs> demanded he was fired, probably. Yeah. <laughs> he picks and chooses who he does his shtick around. I understand that. We make angels in the service of civilization. Yes, there were bad angels once. I make good angels now. That is how I took us to nine new worlds. Nine. A child can count to nine on fingers. We should own the stars. Yes, sir. Every leap of civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. We lost our stomach for slaves. Unless engineered. But I can only make so many. That barren pasture. Empty and salted. Right here. The dead space between the stars. I cannot breathe them. So help me, I have tried. We need more replicants than can ever be assembled. Millions so we can be trillions more. We could storm Eden and retake her. Tyrell's final trick, procreation, perfected and lost. But there is a child. Bring it to me. Sir. The best angel of all. Wallace wants to discover the secret to replicant reproduction to expand interstellar colonization. So he has this nefarious idea that he cannot physically make enough replicants to do what he wants to do. But if replicants were capable of reproducing, he thinks that he would have control over all of them still. That's where him and the replicant freedom movement, who we'll meet later, differ. Where does the control piece come from? Like, How does that factor in? I don't know. Yeah. One of the questions I have. You could Google these things on your own. Oh, I no, I do. (laughs) Nobody had the answer for that one. One of the big questions, though, is how does Wallace know? That's what makes me wonder about the blackout. Well, yeah, there's some 
speculation because he knows immediately as if Rachel has been flagged. And when he brings in this serial number, that's why love shows up on the scene immediately. Right. I don't think normally a Blade Runner bringing in some old replicant bones causes her to show up. Yeah, she immediately is dispatched. This was like flagged. They were waiting. They want to know where she is because when Wallace took over Tyrell, presumably he had access to every old archived file and And they found something and they were like, holy shit. You could believe that they've been looking for her. And his jealousy was off the charts because Tyrell was able to do something that Wallace has been unable to do. Right. Which is create a replicant capable of reproduction. And I guess Rachel was the only one, although we're not 100% sure of that, but that's what it seems like, at least. Well, life finds a way. They waited long enough. And so now he knows, and he goes on this whole big monologue where he has that like woman come they out use in the yellow goo. Frog DNA. <laughs> <laughs> they have that woman That's fall right. out of the goo, yeah. and then he like cuts her stomach open because he's so mad. Just brutal. Ultimately, Wallace puts love on the case to find the child. And so she's going to monitor what Kay does and watch from afar. Because essentially, Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049 are noir films, neo-noir films. And even though Kay works for the police department, he acts as a private eye. Absolutely. And it's sort of a futuristic private eye story. He's a man without a country, for sure. Well, that's how it was with Decker, too. It's it's the same setup as a 40s noir film. Instead of being a private eye, he's the special name Blade Runner. At some point, what gets introduced with Kay becomes the Pinocchio, Am I a Real Boy quest. Yeah, which I think Joy even uses that same sort of language. She pushes him forward. Well, she says oh, just yeah. like a real boy. And right. She's like a, like a real girl about herself or something. Uh-huh. What's the deal with those frosted glass sex stores that you see? I was trying to figure that out, Are too. Are those brothels? Or I, I, is that just like so, porn? It, I was getting the sense that it's a brothel, but I was trying to figure out, is the only way a brothel operates is everyone needs to be in the same room? Because that's what it seems like. Who knows? I don't, it just seems like piles of people on top of each other. Yeah, you can kind of see a little bit through the glass, but it's very hard to tell. But it's like yeah. sex noises and like body parts up against the glass briefly. Not that really is where me. we meet Mariette, yes. Mackenzie Davis, who is playing a prostitute replicant. Yeah. Very briefly here, I, pop I, back up later. Before we go any further, one thing that should be pointed out, Ryan Gosling, kind of an incredible run of this type of thing, but unbelievable jacket in this movie yeah really cool jacket (laughs) the one that goes like halfway up his face yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's like a weird vibe yeah he's very good at playing these emotionless characters like drive right it's very similar k returns to morton's farm and discovers a tin with a baby sock and a photograph of a woman holding a baby inside at first you might be thinking that this might suggest a few things in theory, but it doesn't really look like Rachel. It's a different woman. He then sees 61021 carved into the tree trunk next to which the bones were buried. So it probably would have been cooler if we did this episode in June. Should have thought of that. That just but, crossed my mind. Yeah, well, who who was thinking about the random date? Yeah, I had no idea that, that, that it was five years ago when we watched this movie that it would be a date that would be approaching. Yeah, the baby was just born, maybe, right. which means she would be in her late 20s. That's the thing that's weird, because Blade Runner came out in 1982. They're like, oh, let's set the first movie in 2019. A year that will never happen. And then we passed it. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then before 2019 happens, they're like, all right, well, we're going to make a sequel, but Harrison Ford's still going to be in it. So we just got to make him like 30 years older. So it's going to be, okay, 2049 is fine. Yeah. The child that's born in 2021 is now 28. Right. Which sort of syncs up to Gosling, although I think we're being a bit generous. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was well over 28 by the time this movie came out. He looks a lot better at whatever age it is than I looked at 28. Let's just say that. Well, that's true. And every other year that preceded that. Kay seeing this date triggers a brief childhood memory of a wooden horse that shakes him to his core and starts the shift in his mindset that will play out over the rest of the film. And is he just starting to haywire from here on out? Well, his memories are fucking with him. Yep. So he's not sure what to believe anymore. He's starting to get off baseline. That's how easy it is to introduce the idea of human empathy or human belief humanity in general into these replicants is just a little trigger of something and they realize how hard it is to handle which is why the replicant freedom movement ends up being right that the idea of reproduction will be the spark that will change things because look at what happened to Kay. just the suggestion of something triggering a memory is like holy shit what's going on and now all he ever did and all he ever yeah. accomplished or believed in is thrown out the window because it doesn't matter anymore in the face of something different. I was sharing a moment with you uh, before we recorded about going past a building I used to work in. We used to work in. And yeah. how I just shuddered <laughs> in the horror. Well, yeah, that's almost like a, the opposite direction right? of a, a trigger. Meanwhile, Love breaks into the LAPD headquarters, kills Coco in a brutal way, and steals Rachel's bones. Yeah, really. I mean, just a karate chop to, like, the top of the spine or something? Yeah. I don't know what She's this is. She's a killer. Yikes. As Joshi rages about what's transpired, Kay reveals the rest of his wooden horse memory, being chased by boys in an orphanage and hiding it. She's basically like, don't share this memory with anyone well, no, else. No, she demands that he shares yeah. it, even though he doesn't want to. <laughs> I know. He's like, well, what's the point? I know that it didn't happen to me. Right. Although he now he's starting to doubt it. Because we're going to find out in a little bit that the date that's carved into this wooden horse is the date that's carved into that tree. And so now yes. he's like, what the fuck? Uh-huh. Kay brings joy into his search as they comb through the LAPD records for children born on 61021. She reveals that Kay's told her the story of the horse many times and that the inscription underneath was 61021. Mirror data makes a man. A and C and T and G. The alphabet of you. All from four symbols. I'm only two. One and zero. Half as much, but twice as elegant, sweetheart. You don't prefer your madam? Hmm. You were listening. Maybe. You didn't like her enough to tell her the truth. Six, ten, and twenty-one. There's nothing to tell. How many times? The date carved beneath. Six, ten, and twenty-one. Coincidence? I 
a dangerous coincidence. I always knew you were special. Maybe this is how. A child of woman born pushed into the world. for the rest of my life by someone just like me. It's okay to dream a little, isn't it? Not if you're us. Stop. Put up 48, 47, and 2181 side by side. They're identical. My boy and the girl. It's impossible. Why? Two people can't have identical DNA. One of these isn't real. It's a copy. They were both processed at the Moral Coal Orphanage. Says the girl died there. Genetic disorder. Galatian syndrome. And the boy disappears. Where's the orphanage? You wanna go for a ride? Joy believes this is evidence that Kay was born and not created. His memories are real. He is special. He is the chosen one, which, of course, yeah. when you have Ana de Armas telling you this, you start believing it, too. <laughs> He's like, fuck yeah, I There's believe this. a lot that I would be willing to believe. <laughs> okay, this is great. If she was like telling me that I'm cool, which is something I so know at my core that I am not, I would believe it. Well, I think if Ana de Armas is telling you you're cool, then that, by definition, means you are. <laughs> it's not a matter of believing I would be breaking down barriers. <laughs> In his search, Kay finds twins born on 61021 with identical DNA, aside from the sex chromosome, but only the boy is listed as alive. He thinks that this is impossible. Mm. I tried to look into this. The boy who lived. I think it technically is impossible because they're if they're different sexes, then they're fraternal twins, which means that their DNA would not be identical. I think if you are identical twins, you can have the same DNA think yeah we'd have to phone a friend on that one not my area of expertise but fraternal twins would not have the same dna and they are listed as having the same dna but if they are male and female then that would be impossible so he's seeing an anomaly here so something's fucked up to hide something to obscure it from view right k tracks the child to an orphanage in ruined san diego this is a pretty cool stretch of the film, even though not a lot happens. Uh, San Diego this... has just become a garbage dump. <laughs> yeah, it's a journey. <laughs> you see that overhead shot of the ocean, just horrible weather. It's a memorable series of visuals here. And yes, San Diego is LA's landfill. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> a lot of garbage. garbage. Rusty garbage. Right. 
he's met with some local resistance. I don't really know who these people are I supposed know. to be. That is sort of a weird thing to introduce into it. I think they're just supposed to be like some sort of garbage uh, dwellers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They do just want to like mug him, it seems. Yeah, they take his ship down, but Love, who is overseeing this from afar, comes in with the long distance assist with the just rockets like to dropping just get rid of everyone. Got missiles on these people. <laughs> like get away. Yeah. She's basically like, I can just chill here while at she's Wallace Corp. Manicure. While Kay does all the work. Kay encounters a bunch of shaved head children, which were reminiscent of Talia Ghoul. Oh yeah. In The Dark Knight Rises and Bane, just we like understand saves that one of the kids. They are a part of some sort of child labor force run by that random guy. <laughs> it's like, okay, this keeps getting more and more fucked up. They're orphans that are dumped off at this horrible place in the middle of a garbage dump. That's and then they have to pick with... apart the garbage. <laughs> As you called them, garbage dwellers? Yeah. Like, who are those people? I don't know. Do they ever interact with this group? It seems like... They're just homeless fringe yeah. people. But it feels like they're living in a very risky place, like the, these kids, I mean. Well, what choice do they have? Well, none, I guess, but it, it feels like they'd get overrun by these uh, garbage dwellers. Well, why? I don't know. Maybe they're not interested in... Yeah, there's nothing to have here. Just yeah. a shitty orphanage. After Kay strong arms the guy in charge of the orphanage, we discover the records from 2021 are all missing, having been ripped out of a book by persons unknown. Which that guy's just as shocked about, it seems. Yeah, at first he's trying to deflect anything yeah. and everything, but yeah, he seems like he's going along with it now, and he doesn't he's understand what's happening either. Kind of a squirrely character you would describe him as. Oh, the guy forcing the orphans <laughs> to do child labor is a squirrely guy. Somewhat sketchy, you would say. But Kay recognizes the orphanage from his memories and finds the toy horse where he remembers hiding it. Mm -hmm. And so this is a total mind fuck for him, because I guess... You're supposed to think if the memory is fake and just implanted, then there would be no toy horse. There would be no orphanage. Right. It would all just be a, creation. a figment of nothing. Yes. But the fact that this is a real orphanage and he found the horse means that it actually happened. So for those of you keeping score at home, this is jolt number two for him. Well, now he's completely fucked. His mind is... Yeah. But it, it goes one more level. Like, oh, yeah. When he... <laughs> When he has his meltdown, he's like, ah, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I just wrote a note here, and I think it, I need to put this on record. Please. I honestly think Ana de Armas might be the best-looking human being of all time. <laughs> just wanted to say that, get that out there. Thank you. Just I, unbelievable. I, I don't know if that's the first time you said it on this show. <laughs> that specific, that direct? No, not that direct. But you've definitely said now that to Alexander me, Daddario's engaged, and this is like sorry, a long honey. run for her because I feel like you were in early on on a day Armis from Knock Knock. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, what year did Knock Knock come out? Mm, I think it came out in fifteen, but I watched yeah. it in sixteen. And I mean, at that time, so it's been you were five telling, years. Yeah, which I guess <laughs> this Blade Runner twenty forty nine came out in twenty seventeen, so it's only one year later. But I mean, this is like a five-year run of you declaring her the most beautiful person in the universe i don't know how anyone could disagree with it i don't it's insane it makes sense that in the aftermath of knock knock that this 
actress has gone on to be a bigger star. And Absolutely. It, it keeps rising. She keeps popping up in big budget movies. She was movies. just in James Bond. Yep. Granted, I heard it was a very small part, but there might be some sort of a spinoff from she was it or something. in sort of a pivotal role in Knives Out. Yeah. And she's in this Marilyn Monroe thing that may someday come out. I mean, there's a whole thing where she just keeps working with high-profile directors in yep. high-profile projects. I'm not afraid to give you credit. I believe you had that one. <laughs> I was all over it. That's right. <laughs> Joy decides to give Kay a real name, calling him Joe. And my response to that is, not great. Lame. It's lame because her name is Joy. Joy and Joe? Which I was wondering if, if that's like a little intentional as like a clue that this is not all that it could be here. Could it be a combination? Yeah. Cause could it be a mixture of her starting to be real, but I think also so. still part of following her program? I, I would settle on a mixture, but it does seem like... Even in the theater, the first time watching this movie, it was sort of like, uh, again, I had one of those jolt moments. I'm like, really? Joe? <laughs> That's the name? Well, it fits in, too, though, with who he is. Yeah. Because he's supposed to be an average, average Joe. Joe. Yeah, yeah, he is just a pawn or a I, cog in the wheel, but he doesn't know that. He thinks he is the chosen one. He is the big deal. I don't know that this is better, but in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, well, he goes by K. Maybe you do something with that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like Finn. Right. In Star Wars. Yes. See? <laughs> Abrams gets it. <laughs> Who makes the memories is the question. Where did this come from? So K goes to see Dr. Anna Staline, played by Carla Jury. Who would have thought this could be a job? Who is a replicant memory designer. She has a immune deficiency disease, so she's essentially like the bubble boy from Seinfeld. That's right. She lives behind glass. <laughs> Saying Although, like, obscene things to the people that come to see her. It should be pointed out, though, and it, I hope this doesn't you know, necessarily give away every spoiler in the world, but... Does she really have an immune <laughs> disease? I don't think so. Well, no, it, I, I mean, think that that's all it ostensibly. Could be, in, right, that could be something... Hey, listen, the records were scrambled. We don't know. She thinks she does. Right. Is it all part of this plan to protect her? Because as we find out, there's a reason she needs to be protected. Dr. Anna Celine is a scientist who designs the implanted memories that Walls Corporation installs into its new replicants. The replicants are aware that these memories are implants they did not personally experience, but their presence drastically improves their mental stability. Empathetic to how replicants are used as slave labor, Anna tries to give them pleasant memories to carry with them, even if they know they're artificial. Due to complications that can arise, it is forbidden to base memory implants on the real memories of another person. They must be fabrications with no basis in real events. Nonetheless, Dr. Staline secretly sneaks in a few of her best memories into some of the memory implants as a gift. Imagine is that one of your best memories? Uh, that's like, hiding <laughs> and being like chased through this like broken down factory. Yeah, it is a very steampunk orphanage. Yeah. It's a lot of metal <laughs> right. steps. There's so many layers and no one has hair. <laughs> well, that's probably because of lice or something, right? Although in this future, I was wondering because of the landfill, they have uh, the lice are replicants even. Well, yeah. In the first Blade Runner, almost like all animals are fake. Right. And they're super rare. But I was wondering, if you have a giant landfill like this, are there rats? Are there mice? Are there other vermin in the 
landfill or are they fake too did they all go extinct they make replicant <laughs> rats just to make it seem like it's, it's normal a, yeah, it's a normal what about landfill? the ocean is ocean life affected by what's been going on i would assume, I assume so i yeah are there just barely any real animals i think left? so yeah but enough that k when seeing a dog later questions if it's real like there's still an option that it could be yeah but it is rare this sequence with k and dr celine brings into question the significance and meaning of memory. And she says that it's more important to focus on feelings over detail, that that's what people associate with memory Uh is how something made them feel rather than all of the specific details as to what actually happened. It reminds me of David Lynch and his distaste for video cameras, which comes through in the film Lost Highway. Uh Uh-huh with Bill Pullman's character and not liking video cameras or something. Isn't that what happens where he's like, I want to remember things how I remember them. That seems right. Versus how they really happened. Yeah. Something like that. And yeah, I think that plays into memory. I could be confusing that it's just a David Lynch quote, but I'm pretty sure that's in the movie lost highway. I think there's definitely a video camera element to it. (laughs) Yeah. I did just watch that this year, but then again, I've also watched like 900 movies, so it's hard to remember (laughs) every detail. Slightly less for me, but... It's been a busy 2021. But I get it. I get the idea that they're going for, that memory is much bigger than the specifics. Now, that can fuck people up when they're testifying at trial, when you have eyewitnesses, but I think human brains work differently than we think that they do sometimes, even though we have them and we experience them in real time with our own brain. Right. But because in our mind, our memory is what really happened, no matter what. But oftentimes it isn't. And yeah. I think you're confronted with that all the time. And that's something that and, Anna uh, realizes, and she focuses on the feelings, that's which right. is creating these memories. Because a lot of times in memory, the reality gets blurred. Yeah. Sometimes, you know. Sometimes you are embellishing the story when you tell it to someone, and then over time, that, that becomes, becomes the truth. what happened. Or sometimes you change things to make it more embarrassing than it was in your mind whenever you're fixating on it at 2 a.m. at night. Yeah. Or you make it less embarrassing. I wish I could make it less. It's always more. <laughs> or you make it better than it was, or you make it worse than it was, or you overlook things, or you whatever. Maybe the first time you do it, you realize it, but then over time, that just becomes what it is, or... Maybe you didn't fixate on something the first time, so then you fill in the blanks. Your mind just is like, oh, the shirt was green. Going down the road of convincing myself that, oh, no one remembers that because people like have other things to worry about. And <laughs> It's like, no, we all laugh yeah. about it all the time. <laughs> Meanwhile, you and me still like bringing up the same embarrassing moments that we've witnessed. <laughs> yeah, mostly me. <laughs> Although you remember them much more clear than me. I'm like, yeah, I barely remember that. And you're like, no, no, here's all of the details. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was embarrassing. Usually because you were just such a good storyteller that they became memorable stories. (laughs) So I got to give you the credit on that. Yeah, I deserve all the credit. (laughs) Anna confirms that the memory of the orphanage is real and that, yes, someone lived it, thus leading Kay to conclude that he is, in fact, Rachel's son. And this is when he freaks out. Oh, yeah. God! Damn it! <laughs> Throwing the chair. It's like the most emotion he's ever showed. Yeah. She has a tear when she reveals this to Kay. And I do love that characters in this film just will have the single tears falling down at various points. It's like my whole life. <laughs> love does that several times. Yeah. 
and you're never really sure what her motivation is. We still haven't even got to those scenes yet. My God, is this movie long? I would say like most things that I watch, movie, show, sports, whatever, Lindsay could look over at any given time and there's a single tear rolling down my cheek. It's mostly commercials for me. (laughs) Because you recognized someone that was in a Seinfeld episode in a commercial. (laughs) (laughs) It starts to snow which is some indication of how fucked up it is in L.A. And Kay is in the middle of an existential crisis, now not sure if anything he's ever experienced in his life is real or not real, or is he who he thinks he is? He doesn't know. Which, again, I know I keep saying this, but is essentially the idea of these films. It's like, am I real? Mm -hmm. How do you know? How do I tell if you are a replicant, and how do you tell if you yourself are one? Who knows? Because know, the, the tests that they're using in these worlds that they've created in these films don't seem to really capture the essence of you humanity. Think, there's like a flaw in this whole plan. <laughs> you would yeah, think there's a lot of flaws in their plan. Right, and like, this is the exposing of Like it. there should be an easier way than this test. Joshi pulls Kay in very dramatically, and this is his second baseline. So back at headquarters, Kay fails a post-traumatic baseline test essentially marking him as a rogue replicant. Obviously, he fails because of the information he has just received. That's right. He's freaking out. Cells. Cells. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Dreadfully. Dreadfully. What's it like to be filled with dread? Dreadfully. Dreadfully. Do you like being separated from other people? Distinct. Distinct. Dreadfully distinct. Dreadfully distinct. Dark. Dark. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within one stem. Within one stem. And dreadfully distinct. And dreadfully distinct. Against the dark. Against the dark. A tall white fountain plate. A tall white fountain plate. You're not even close to baseline. Out. Close the door. What the fuck is with you? I put you on a case. I impressed on you the importance of that case, and then we pick you up fucking around outside an upgrade center? Scan said you didn't look like you on the inside, miles off your baseline. Do you know what that means? I found the kid. He was set up like a standard replicant put on a service job. Even he didn't know who he was. He then lies to Joshi saying that he found the replicant child and implies that he killed him. It's done. I killed the kid. He never says that, but essentially that's what he's saying. Joshi gives Kay 48 hours to pass the baseline test, or if not, he will be retired. So what does that mean? Like go away for 48 hours and like try to chill yourself out? Well, she says I can get you out of the building after that. You're on your own, but you're going to have to 
report back to take the test or you're going to end up being hunted and killed or something. Right. She's buying him like a little bit of a window. I guess to calm him down, Joy decides this is the right moment to make their love physical. <laughs> because it's, it is weird how they wedge this scene in here. The, right. It seems like it should have come earlier. Because now it almost feels like he's a fugitive or something. And they're just like, okay, well now it, it, we're going to do this. This part of it feels a little disjointed from the narrative that we've been following. Joy hires Mariette. The replicant prostitute we met briefly earlier on. Seems like there had to be other options out there. Not the one that he had an interaction with. To serve as a surrogate for Joy to have sex with Kay. Mm -hmm. And again, you get a lot of similarities to the film Her. There's that scene with Portia Doubleday. That's right. Serving as the... Host? The surrogate Okay, would be a better word. But in that sense, Joaquin Phoenix is only looking at her. Yes. They do this whole... I, I kind of don't sinking like up. it, the sinking up thing. <laughs> it's I get weird. what they're going for, but it... You would I, think that with the technology that they have in this world that they would just have a way to, like, an add-on that you could, could buy right. for the program That's or something. The, what I would think the Joy product is, is like a gateway to get you hooked in. Like, once you're really in love with this hologram version, you upgrade... To the real body. You, and then you get the pleasure bot version. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> I can't. I is knocking can't. on your door. I know that the point of these movies is that this stuff is not good, but it's really hard to convince me when you have Ana de Harvest being this person. It's just, come on. Yeah, it's right. not fair. <laughs> <laughs> these are jokes, people. Calm down. Yeah, respectfully. <laughs> the film chooses now to cut away and show us the Joy hologram advertisement and billboard very briefly, but it's a reminder of the harsh reality. But I was thinking about this a little bit more. Uh-huh. Okay, so at this point in the film, we don't really know what the deal is with Kay. Is he a full-blown replicant? Is he the first replicant child? Or is he half-replicant, half-human? Is he a real boy? If Deckard is his father, and, and if Deckard is a human, then is he half-human, half-replicant? Does that matter at a certain point? Whatever. But yeah, what, either way, he is a replicant of some kind. I was going down the path in my mind, like if you're half human, half replicant, like what does that mean? Like you're a liger. What is functional? Yeah. Well, that would just mean that there's no difference anymore at all. Yeah, yeah. There's no discernible difference except I guess somewhere on your DNA you have a serial number, but All right. Yeah, I, I'm assuming that they're saying that the only difference is the But you could means still of I guess, I guess you can carry on. This is where I was going. Like, if you're K and you think that maybe you're a real boy who's half human, half replicant, you still have the super strength. You know what I mean? He's busting through walls and shit. Yeah. So you're able to pass on that trait. Maybe. If that well, was we the don't idea. Know. We don't right. know the specifics of that yeah. stuff. Okay. Uh, we don't. I agree with you. But I think that the movie brings an interesting question as to what is the difference between K and Joy. Well, one's a hologram. I'm talking about like mentally. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, there's the physical body part. If there, but... if there is a self-awareness, though, it's, K has a lot more reason to believe, I guess. Yeah. In his potential for human nature. But is Joy a reminder of the programming that they would put into a replicant? Is there limitations to a replicant? Right. We don't really know. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like they can learn and adapt and evolve. Oh, I'd say so. In a way that almost betrays Wallace or previously Tyrell. Like they uh -huh. they don't want that to happen, but that just happens inevitably. 
whereas there are limitations to joy but maybe it's just like when a stripper pretends that she's into you but it's just like god damn it i i you start <laughs> to exactly. buy into joy you're like oh i know because she does things that puts her own existence at risk right but then again maybe she does that because she is not real and doesn't understand the and, same and way and her whole design is to just keep pushing this thing forward but why no i know do you think if she's a product of something Wallace Listen, made? Listen, I'm totally buying that there's something here. She's into Joe. I'm not talking about like if she actually is in love with Joe, but just that she's assisting on this quest in yeah. a way that's outside of her design, right? It seems like I it. fall for it. Yeah, I, I'm there. The next morning, Mariette, who we will later learn is part of the replicant freedom movement, leaves a tracker on Kay before she goes. Everybody's tracking this guy. At Joy's request, Kay reluctantly transfers her to a mobile emitter, which is what he bought her, but Eminator. permanently, and then delete her from the console so his new pursuers will not be able to track him through her console memory files. Although, so this- I got to stop right here on something. That's a great point. She brings it up, not him, right? The whole, they could track you through my console and everything. I got to tell you, no one is worse at losing a tail than K. Everybody's following this motherfucker. Yeah. Although earlier in the film, I don't think it really mattered. To yeah, him. yeah. Like, true. What difference would it make? He has a mission he's trying to accomplish. That's it. right. He doesn't really understand maybe that he's in danger because if he finds the child and then love jumps in and kills him and takes the child to Wallace, whatever. But yeah. I don't think he really understands who would be looking for him because he still thinks it's a secret because nothing happened at Wallace Corp which would lead anyone to believe that they knew except they did know because they already knew. Right. But yeah, this sets the stage to make it clear if anything happens to the emitter, that's it. She's gone. Yeah. It does become like saving a fucking video game. (laughs) There is one copy and then that's it. Right. It, It is a reminder of what she is in a way like you have to save your progress in a game is what i'm saying and if you've ever seen a movie i think it was clear at this point where we were heading with joy yeah it is like okay he bought a game and he could always buy another one but this is his progress that's saved i've I've gotten this far in the joy game (laughs) i'd have to start all over oh yeah it's like the sims and we get a shot of love back at wallace corp when he shuts off Joy, she knows immediately. So they're right. tracking him through Joy. And that does lead you to believe. They seemingly, if Joy was just a program, they could have tapped into her to guide him in the opposite direction to not do something like that. That's right. And yet she does come up with this on her own. Like, hey, take me out of there or else they'll be able to track you. Or are they pushing that? No, because she has to figure out where he goes in a completely different way. True. A violent way yeah. that doesn't involve computers. Right. <laughs> Kay has the toy horse analyzed, revealing traces of radiation that lead him to the ruins of Las Vegas. I guess if you look closely at the toy horse, you can see that it's possible that there was a spot on the head where a horn broke off. Oh. Potentially tying it in with the unicorn from the director's cut and final cut of Blade Runner. I don't know if that's really true or intentional or not. It does make sense. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, that ties in with sure Blade yeah. Runner a little bit more, but who knows? Yeah, this uh, almost feels like a, a never-ending story reference here when he's walking up and he's walking between those two oh, God. things, the Southern Oracle. 
Las Vegas is an orangey desert wasteland with giant statues of naked women. That's right. Not just nude, but erotic. <laughs> you only get a shot of the two that have like open mouths like they're about to make out. But if you pay attention in the background, oh, yeah. it seems like there's a lot of them in like various potentially lewd It was weird, yeah. <laughs> positions. I guess Las Vegas got like a little bit darker. Yeah. It's not the Disneyland that right. it's turned into these days. He finds some bees, which I don't know if they're supposed to be real bees or not, but that's indication that somebody's around doing something. Uh-huh. Not bees just on their own, but I don't know what you call those. Like boxes of bees. A group of bees. <laughs> well, like somebody's beekeeping. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I like him. He's a good boy. Where is he? No, no idea. He's off duty. Check around. I checked. Anywhere a good boy might go. You're too late. It's gone. He destroyed it. Everything about it. Well, except for the box of bones that you already took. Which I'll wager wasn't enough. Here you are. You tiny thing. In the face of the fabulous new, your only thought is to kill it? For fear of great change? You can't hold the tide with a broom. Except that I did. You're so sure. Because he told you. Because we never lie. I'm gonna tell Mr. Wallace you try to shoot me first. So I had to kill you. And do what you gotta do. Back in Los Angeles, love kills Joshi so that she can find out where Kay is headed. Sort of an emotional scene. Well, it is for love. Yeah. Because she has, she has tears spilling out of her eyes as she's doing it, which I think is wild. Some well, wild choices do in you, this. I mean, you think she is at least half believing that the kid was killed? Because that's what sets her off. No. She 100% knows. Maybe not 100%, but yeah. I think she's pretty confident that the, that, that didn't happen. Well, because the news she's been def- tracking him the whole time. Right, but the news definitely sets her off. Yeah, because she's getting resistance. Yeah. And she realizes it's a dead end because Joshi believes it. Right. I I agree with you. I think she knows that there's more to happen because if it really was over, she would know where Kay was. Yes. Kay wouldn't be unplugging Joy to head out somewhere. Well, they're going for a nice vacation retreat. Yeah, but she knows that he deleted the, the console. So something's up. Right. Kay enters an abandoned hotel casino. It's like this huge, massive building that it's it's crazy to even try to figure out what's going on with it. This was an interesting direction to take it, but it's so cool that they did. Like some of the stuff that they do in this building is awesome. Mightn't happen to have a piece of cheese about you now. 
comes a gruff voice. Yeah. A gruff, familiar voice. Applause from the audience. It's from Treasure Island, which is also has its connections to Blade Runner, although I believe that is a deleted scene. I'm not sure oh. which version that may have made it in. There's a part where someone's reading Treasure Island. I don't know. It's a, it's a deep cut of a reference. Folks, it's a bold move when you make a Blade Runner sequel and you promise us Harrison Ford and you have 58 minutes left uh, it's so in a two-hour yeah. and 50-minute movie and you're like, okay, here's Harrison Ford, right. finally. <laughs> Kay has found Deckard. It becomes this little cat and mouse game, Deckard pursuing Kay. He thinks he's there to kill him, potentially. Doesn't know what's up. He knows he's a Blade Runner. They go into this showroom like a stage room there's like a hologram elvis performing it's kind of a cool choice it's sort of like the unicorn scene not quite it still fits this movie a little bit but it seems like it's completely out of place with everything we've seen yeah they have a fight famously harrison ford landed one of those punches for real (laughs) it was like a whole thing finally he realizes he's not getting anywhere punching k in the face repeatedly it's not really having the impact that he would like yeah, but this is noticeable to Deckard at a certain point. K is not going for the kill at yeah. any point. He has said, I'm not trying to hurt you or whatever. Yeah. Deckard tells K that he is the father of Rachel's child and that he scrambled the birth records to protect the child's identity. Deckard had to leave and stay away, not wanting the child found. They were being hunted. Deckard left the child in the custody of the replicant freedom movement which I guess didn't know what to do, so that sort of got shuffled into the system. So it was almost like hiding in plain sight. Rather than keeping the child secluded or away, they just infiltrated the child back into society in its own way. It's sort of underwhelming, isn't it? You're like, okay. Well, I think it's supposed to be even for Kay or Joe, too. Like He shows up and he's expecting to get some information here, and there's not really much information to be had because Deckard... Intentionally doesn't know. Right. Like, I've separated myself from the situation. I'm assuming that neither Deckard nor Rachel knew that this was possible, and so they almost stumbled onto something that would shake the world. He's like, what do you mean you're not on the pill? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like your standard sitcom, like, I'm having another baby joke. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) what the fuck? I'm hum, pregnant. Hum, 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 hum. He's like, I'm pregnant. Hum, 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 <laughs> passes out. <laughs> and knocked up. I'm pregnant. With emotion? <laughs> Got her name? Officer KD6-3. That's not a name. That's a serial number. All right. Joe. What do you want, Joe? I want to ask you some questions. Like what? What was her name? The mother of your child. What was she like? You two live here together? Too many questions. I had your job. I was good at it. It was simpler then. Why are you making it complicated? Why don't you just answer the question? What question? 
I didn't figure you as one for bullshit. What's her name? What happened to the kid? Who put it in the orphanage? Was it you? It was long gone by then. You didn't even meet your own kid? Why? Because that was the plan. I showed him how to scramble the records. Cover their tracks. Everyone had a part. Mine was to leave. Then the blackout came, paved over everything. Couldn't have found the child if I tried. Did you want to? Not really. Why not? Because we were being hunted. I didn't want our child found, taken apart, dissected. Sometimes to love someone, you gotta be a stranger. The shit hits the fan when Love and some of her minions show up in Vegas. In one fell swoop, she manages to abduct Deckard, severely wound Kay, and then, worst of all, permanently destroy Joy. Oh, And destroy the audience's Joy as well. <laughs> by smashing the emitter. It really is heartbreaking, though. Yeah, Joy sees it coming, and she's like, I love you, and then he's like, cut off. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely tragic. A bummer. There's not a lot of coming back from that. It's like when Nell Tiger Free is killed in Too Old to Die Young. Oh, yeah. And she just says, Mom. A reference that I'm sure. <laughs> I knew that was just for you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> if anyone gets that reference, man, you are our friend. <laughs> <laughs> Listening this deep into a Blade Runner 2049 ep only to hear that reference. That's right, yeah. You're in a select crew at that point. (laughs) I don't think anyone. Love leaves Kay to die, which is a mistake she repeatedly makes throughout the rest of the film. She just keeps assuming that Kay will be dead, and it's not happening. Yeah, she does underestimate him. Yeah. However, using Marriott's tracker, the replicant freedom movement rescues Kay and brings him back to Los Angeles. Like I said, he's just constantly being tracked by everyone. Pretty much. Mariette introduces Kay to Freja, the leader of the movement. Noticeably missing an eye. Yes, which implies she had a run-in Yeah, with a Blade Runner at some point because they use the eyes to, to scan them back in. That's what he did with Sapper. Right. Although, was it a Blade Runner cutting corners being like, well, I killed her and she wasn't really dead? <laughs> Here, I don't just know. Just give me your eye and we'll call it an even trade. Turns out she is the woman from the photograph, the one holding the miracle baby. She helped deliver Rachel's child, and that child was a girl. So Kay now knows it's not actually him. Something I noticed on this viewing that I I never really paid attention to before, she says, that's why Sapper let you kill him. I would have been like, well, what do you mean, let me? (laughs) What do you say, bitch? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's implying that Sapper sacrificed himself to try to protect the secret. I don't really understand that fully, but sure. Okay. Yeah. 
Frazier wants Kay to kill Deckard so that Deckard won't lead Wallace to her like Kay led Wallace to Deckard. And that has to sting a little bit. <laughs> He's like, all right, I didn't understand that everyone was tracking Really? Yeah. I thought I was just this anonymous nobody. Yeah. I was your average Joe. All right? I just want to go back to me and my hologram girlfriend, yeah. okay? <laughs> she was the one that gave me a name. I want to go back to my holograph girlfriend, Lene Kakua. Everything was fine before. The appearance of the replicant freedom movement hammers home the significance of the baby. The idea of the baby giving them freedom because it means they have souls. It means they can have a future. It means they can reproduce. They're almost like blindly optimistic that this will lead to their freedom in general. I don't know if that would actually happen or not. There's so many of them. This movie, this world that we're living in, I said it earlier, but... Doesn't it feel like there's more replicants than humans here? That's what we see, but it's yeah. hard to get a sense of what the world is like. We only see a couple of cities. They're mostly in ruins, but who knows? We don't know. Right, that's true. Yeah. I'm assuming that humans still easily and, outnumber them. Or and else maybe they there's like better places where there's bigger populations of humans. Well, I'm assuming the humans outnumber them or else they would have already overtaken them. Yeah, I would say. You would think that. And also the potential is that like love... There are replicants who still do as they're told. Sure. So not all of them are a part of this. Right. But it's interesting that this movement even exists because, from what we were told, replicants of this age did not do this anymore. They didn't think like this. Yes, Frasia is older. She was around from the old days. But I don't think Mariette is like an old model. No, like, I, don't mo- think. I don't think most of them are. Right. It's a mix for sure. They have to be cursing Tyrell's name. Like, why did you ever make these goddamn replicants with open-ended lifespans? <laughs> now they're just always around, That's annoying right. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Getting all these crazy ideas. Kay deduces that Anna, the memory maker, a.k.a. the bubble girl, is Rachel and Deckard's child, and that the memory of the toy horse is hers, one she implanted amongst those of other replicants she designed. That's something you sort of have to figure out on your own, is that Kay is not the only one with the memory of the horse. Right. I guess a lot of things had to come together for Kay to really be able to put this all together. Well, no, not if you think about it. The memory is real. Yeah, yeah. The horse has the date on it. Yeah, he's jumping to conclusions, but it's too many coincidences. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It all fits together. Even the fact that he went to talk to her specifically. Well, she cried. Yes. And said that the memory was real. Right. So she knew. He's not completely dumb. No, I mean, no, he picked I don't up on that. Deckard and Rachel liking each other just by listening to That's their right. voices. So yes. he's perceptive. He figured out, like, okay. He's tying it all back together. He was still under the spell of it being right. his own memory. Once he's able to remove himself from that, he's able to put all the clues together. Yeah, there's no one else that it could be because that's where the memory came from and the memory is real and the memory is this horse that has this date on it that matches with this that's tree. That's right. It almost seems like he should have, if he wasn't under the spell, he would have realized it during the conversation with her that it was her memory. The irony is that Wallace is looking for someone right under his own nose. Now, we find out from her own mouth earlier in the film that she doesn't actually work for Wallace Corps. He tried to buy her. That's right. She's, she's more like of like a freelance situation. Independent contractor. But she's right there. He knows of her. He knows who she is. For sure. And that was the perfect way to hide her. That's why they decided to just put her back into the system as a orphan. And they scrambled the records to make it seem like she was part of twins and the other twin died. And all of that was bullshit. 
but it just obscured the truth of where she came from and she just slipped back in and no one ever questioned it and then here she is and i think that the immune disease is probably fake to just keep her contained so that she doesn't wander around out there in the world right (laughs) deckard's death would theoretically be good for the movement an act to protect anna and the rebel replicants never got a second opinion on that immune disease no Finally, we have our Wallace and Deckard face-to-face scene because love brings Deckard to Wallace Corp. He says, I need the child. <laughs> he, You know, yeah, not really the best way to go about it, bringing out Rachel's skull. <laughs> like, dude, <laughs> I know. show a little tact, I, for fuck's sake. Not zero tact with this guy. <laughs> Does he think this is going to win Deckard over? Well, here's the thing about Wallace. He's definitely a shut-in. I mean, come on. It doesn't seem like he knows how to interact with people. But that also probably plays into the idea that Wallace thinks that Deckard is a replicant. He never says that, so right, this is but, something but it to is, glean. It is implied, I would say. A little bit, yeah. He seems to think it. It's unclear whether he would know for sure or not. Who knows? Right. But he also clearly has a theory that Deckard was a pawn in a bigger game that Tyrell was playing. That Absolutely. It was all a plan, and that Deckard was deemed a perfect specimen to mate with Rachel, and Rachel was designed specifically to trigger human emotion in him. But I think as the viewer, we're being asked to push against that and say, no, 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 their love is real. Right. Because that's what Deckard says. He says, no, I know what's real. I know. Yeah. Wallace is uh, not very cryptic with his thoughts on the situation. Yeah, I think just because Wallace knows some things doesn't mean that he's all-knowing. Oh, I agree. It's possible that he doesn't know what And he's I think that's about. some of the idea behind the blackout is to create some of this ambiguity. Yeah, there's no definitive answer left out there. Because seemingly if it was all part of a plan, there would have been people that knew, but it's just been lost in time now. Yeah, I think even when they pull the records on Rachel, they're like, okay, we have some stuff, but a lot of our records are incomplete. Right. All these years you looked back on that day, drunk on the memory of its perfection. How shiny her lips, how instant your connection. Did it never occur to you that's why you were summoned in the first place? Designed to do nothing short of fall for her right then and there. All to make that single, perfect specimen. That is, if you were designed, love, or mathematical precision. Yes. No. It's very clever to keep yourself empty of information. 
and all it cost you was everything. But you can still help me. You had help in the hiding. Where did they go? I know you know something. Help me, and very, very good things can come to you. You don't have children. millions. You think I have nothing to offer but pain? Only I know you love pain. Pain reminds you the joy you felt was real. More joy then. Do not be afraid. An angel, made again, for you. Did you miss me? Don't you love me? Wallace offers Deckard a clone of Rachel in exchange for revealing what he knows. This was a jaw dropper of a moment That's for right. me. Yeah, was not expecting this. So what happens here is Rachel comes strolling into the room and it's a clone. <laughs> and you're like, holy shit. How does Sean Young look that good? Archival footage, audio, and stills of Sean Young from the original film are used to represent both her original character of Rachel and the clone created by Wallace. Young's likeness was digitally superimposed onto an actress named Lauren Petta, who was coached by Young on how to recreate her performance from the first film. 
Elaborate. The voice of the clone was created with the use of a sound-alike actress to Young. Young received credit for her work. Don't really want to speculate on why they had to use a voice actress if Sean Young was already working with them. Does that mean her voice is drastically different now? It might be a little gravelly. I haven't seen Sean Young in a while. Same. I really have no idea, but I don't know. I'm guessing that however her voice sounds, it just didn't sound young enough to match up to the... Which, I mean, I think is normal. Deckard refuses Wallace's offer. It's a pretty great moment when he's like, her eyes were green. (laughs) Which is a weird detail to get wrong. Just a horrible Harrison Ford impression. (laughs) I don't even know what that was, that voice. (laughs) That's all right. Just so pissed. So then love immediately kills the clone. Just so brutal. Just a bad job. (laughs) Yeah, how do you botch the eyes? I don't know. She's killed out of frustration. Kay, now separated from the... Replicate freedom movement, just free to be his emo self, walking around yeah, what on do the they bridges. Do? Just drop him here of Los Angeles. He finds the. This is kind of like one of those wake up from a bender moments. Giant pink joy, just a completely <laughs> nude pink giant Ana de Armas walking around. I will say, advertising seems a lot more fun in 2049. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shocking moment. You're like, are there children in this city? <laughs> It doesn't seem that way. We see, I mean, not to be too graphic, we see her boobs and her butt, so she's not wearing any clothing, so presumably you would look up and just into her vagina Mm -hmm. from being down on that bridge. Well, I'm just saying, it's it's, it's stunning what they're suggesting here. So anyone could see this at any time? It's a dark time. Crazy. Yeah. It really does illustrate the idea that women are just sex objects. They're just less than human. Why do you need a real woman? You have this fake one right here. Look at it. Nude. <laughs> it's bigger than any building that we have. It's fucking wild. Yeah. But she leans down into him to as almost like a, a selling pitch as the advertisement, and she says, you look like a good Joe. Oh, yeah. And so she uses the word Joe, the name Joe, and it's a total wake-up call for Kay. It does shatter any remaining illusion he had to- That they had a real connection. Joy, Yeah. It sucks. I know it is. It's a bummer. The idea is they just start calling any guy that they would be involved in Joe. It could just be a coincidence. It could be. The advertisement could literally mean it as just an any man, an average Joe, Joe right. the plumber. But, <laughs> but our joy, yes, is Kay's over. joy. It could have meant it in a more real way. We don't know. I do think the movie is suggesting that. It was fake, and he feels stupid for being fooled by... I think so. But I keep coming it, back to Which is, to by her. the way, like a, the second beatdown in a row, because he just had... The, the wake-up call that he's not right. the chosen one. He's not anything special. Yeah, it, it's a double down. Hey, You're not special. Okay. Welcome to being human. Yeah. It's all disappointment, yeah, buddy. You, you're going <laughs> to wish you were a replicant yeah. after spin. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> I just keep coming back to Joy allowing herself to be destroyed so easily, setting herself up for that situation. Yeah, because there seemingly would be some level of self-preservation. Yeah, but there wasn't. Right, right. That's what I'm saying, which lends credence to there was a little something to this. So just like everything else in Blade Runner, it's filled with ambiguity. We don't really know. The ending of the film is sort of surprisingly anticlimactic, but it fits in with the tone of the rest of the movie. Yeah, You're well, expecting more out of this. This last big sequence here, a couple things I'd say about it. One, 
I think it's awesome. <laughs> like this fight scene between Kay and Love that happens, I thought was like pretty epic in the theater. I think it's just like a cool scene. But I will say, I didn't think it was the end of the movie. Yeah. Now, I had no idea where we were at in the well, runtime. I think that part of it is that Blade Runner would get... I, obviously, it's science fiction. But if you're going to go by like your standard video store days, it's probably going to get filed under like action or something. Right. There's not a ton of action in the movie. No, no. It's actually probably closer to a science fiction drama than yeah. a science fiction action movie. Right. Because you're expecting guns, shootouts, fights, and there are some of that. There's some of that in the movie, but not a lot. No, it's not loaded with it. And yeah, the ending, it feels like there's going to be more, and then there just really isn't. It well, ends much more of an emo downer yeah. note in a way. There's no more follow-up with Wallace. Yeah, we never see him again. Or anything. But the fight scene is fucking cool. So the plan is to have love transport Deckard off-world because they're going to do some more fucked up shit to him, which I guess they can't really do on Earth. <laughs> For I don't know reason. why. It yeah, seems like Wallace is in charge of the world. Really? That is a little bit of a plot hole that I looked into. I was Googling, like, well, wait, why do they need to take him off-world? Can't they just do whatever they want? But for whatever reason, that's what they're going to do. They have more fucked up shit going on off-world. I mean, love that... is just killing cops like it ain't no thing. Well, I guess they don't want to kill him. Yeah. And they want to do some real fucked up shit to try to make him talk. Right. And so this is where they keep the real fucked up shit that they <laughs> think is definitely going to work. <laughs> I don't know. As Love transports Deckard to be tortured and interrogated off-world, Kay intercepts the shuttle, opening fire and causing the shuttle to crash into the ocean. Kay then lands. He and Love open fire on each other, both landing shots. They fight in the crashing waves, and Kay eventually drowns her but he is also mortally wounded. Yeah, but in the middle of the fight, or I guess like towards the end of it, she gets like the death shot on him, stabs him like the side. Yeah. And that's when she does the whole like cracking her neck in celebration. And then just swims away. That's right. I'm <laughs> the best it's one. Over. Yep. She underestimated him twice. He then chooses to save Deckard, who was handcuffed and about to drown in the nick of time. Kay understands that both Wallace and the Replicant Freedom Movement will have to believe that Deckard drowned in the crash, and so now Deckard will be able to meet his daughter for the first time. So this is the idea of choice. This is the human choice. He's supposed to kill Deckard for the Freedom Movement, but he understands that he doesn't have to. In other words, that's something that a Replicant normally wouldn't do, or at least a Replicant like Kay. Right. So he was like mortally wounded in that fight with love and it all goes back to that line that Fraza or whatever says to him what's more human than dying for a cause or whatever and that's ultimately what Kay's fate is Kay takes Deckard to Anna's office and gives him the toy horse before Deckard goes inside as Kay lies motionless on the steps dying as he looks up yep at the snow falling from the sky Deckard enters the building, and meets his daughter. As a nice little bow, they replicate yep. the tears in rain music. With tears in snow. I don't think the point is what <laughs> the weather actually is. It's just a metaphor. The moment in Blade Runner, which I'm sure we never got into because we did such a surface-level bullshit job in the old days with oh, the sure. podcast, okay. is that moment in Blade Runner is like proof that Roy Batty, Rucker Howard's character, actually does have a soul. That's right. He's able to be poetic and 
understand mortality in a way that replicants are not supposed to. Yeah. And it's this moment where he's accepting his fate and where he's just like, time to die. And that's it. And this is the moment that proves that Kay has a soul. And they actually have Gosling sort of jerk in a way that humans do as if the soul is leaving the body. Right. Which I think is an intentional little thing as he's dying on the steps. Okay. It was strange to me that there were people that didn't understand the ending that weren't sure if he was dead or not. Oh, wow. I thought that that was supposed to be ambiguous. It's like, no, no, no. Oh, he's dead. It's definitely not ambiguous. Yeah. And it just hammers home all of the themes, mortality, souls, empathy. Decisions. The evolution of Deckard, which occurs at the end of Blade Runner and in between films, mirrors the evolution of K, which takes place over the course of this film. He goes from this soulless bounty hunter in a sense to choosing to do the right thing that's right sacrificing himself yes because when he pursues love luv that's right you as the audience are thinking like well is he gonna kill deckard is that what he's doing so that he can't be tortured and give away anything or is he saving the day and the regular guy the guy who's not a part of the story essentially who is not the chosen one who is not involved with this whole history, steps in and does the human thing yeah. to save the day. I got to tell you, I never really sensed a connection with the replicant resistance for K. Maybe it's supposed to be there, like you're thinking that he's going to do what they want. I just never felt like he... No, would. I didn't either. Yeah. It would not really be that interesting of a right. movie if yeah. he just kills Deckard. You're just like, okay, thanks for wasting our time. But even any sense of belonging to that group, there's always like a separation there, even when we meet Mackenzie Phillips' character early in the movie. He kind of yeah. like keeps them at arm's length. Right, yeah. So that's it. Wow. Another marathon. The main character is not... The Chosen One. The Chosen One is a girl that lived behind glass her whole life and for some reason has an accent that doesn't seem to match anyone else's. <laughs> it's always fun. Yeah. I think originally they were interested in doing the sequels, as we mentioned yeah. earlier, but that just wasn't going to happen with this movie not doing as well as I guess they wanted. I don't know I just what think universe they were living in where they thought Blade Runner 2049 was going to make like 500 million or I a know. billion dollars. That just was never going to happen. It is weird. Villeneuve did refer to it later as one of the most expensive art house films because it's exactly. not That's right. what you would expect. There are a lot of factors. I think people didn't understand what the film was about except for diehard fans of Blade Runner. So that, you know, Which is understandable. Casuals were not yeah. going to be interested. The runtime was also a deterrent. It meant less showtimes per day. If it was like two hours or less, they probably could get a whole other showtime per day out of it. Although that right. wouldn't have saved it. No. But there were a lot of different this factors This was never going destined to reach the masses. Honestly, it could have gone a lot worse than it did. Yeah. Folks, Blade Runner 2049. This has been a marathon. I hope we, we covered it all for you. If you haven't seen it, I think it's on HBO Max probably, right? I think so. Is that where you watched? I have the Blu-ray, so... Okay. Yeah, I have the 4K, but I think it is on HBO Max if you want to check it out. Like I said, I think it's better to watch after you watch the final cut yeah. of the 1982 original, which I still have as slightly better. It's a testament to Villeneuve's ability to make a huge-ass movie like this. Even Dune, which I wasn't enamored with by the second half of the movie, but... 
Dune looks fucking awesome. It's a shame though because man, he was fucking killing it with like those smaller movies. That's true, yeah. Well, maybe he'll return to it. Prisoners, Sicario, and Enemy. Three bangers right there. Yeah. Now, this is just as good, but I, I, I'm sort of disappointed when these great directors start going down the path of like sure monster budgets because even though Villeneuve seems to still have a very strong imprint and a lot of influence, you start to lose it, I think. It erodes because... Yeah, it's hard. You're not spending your own money, folks. <laughs> no, and you're at, thankfully. So the people whose money it is are technically the boss, and over time, you start losing power. And the smaller your budgets, the more control you're going to have. But, you know, so far, so good. I, I think sure. this is way better than Dune, I mean, oh, personally. Same. Yeah, absolutely, me too. This was... I don't know if it was my favorite movie of 2017, but it was in the top five for sure. I'm sure mine was like some weird bullshit. <laughs> Raw or yeah, something. Yeah, I'm sure. All right, folks, check out Blade Runner 2049. Okay, very quickly, this episode is way too long. Yeah, just say the name of the movie and then end it. No, we're going <laughs> to we'll, we're gonna spend five minutes talking about Paul Verhoeven's new movie, Benedetta, rather than do recommendations. We saw it in the theater together. Both enjoyed it, I would say. We were afraid that some crazed religious person who was offended was going to blow yeah. up the theater or you something. You said that before the movie, and it did put like a weird haze over the night for me. Well, I just saw some protesters on Twitter, although I do think that this movie is not mainstream enough to really garner that kind of attention. <laughs> right. It is a foreign language film, and it is an art house film. And it's not like a super wide release, so and it's it not going to get that much attention. Push the envelope. I oh, think for you would sure. agree with that. Yeah, it's it's definitely blasphemous. <laughs> it's so over the top. It's It combines everything great about Verhoeven's movies, whether you're talking Showgirls, some of the dialogue in this was a little absurd, or the sexuality of a basic instinct. Uh huh. It kind of reminded me of Flesh and Blood as well aesthetically yeah yeah and i just the idea of like manipulation that seemed to be a big part of it right yes for those of you who don't know it's a story about nuns in not sure what century it's supposed to be not ours during the plague (laughs) yeah they're in a convent there's a whole lesbian love story to it but i think people fixate on that with good reason the scenes are insane (laughs) it is a big part of it but i think it's also really about controlling a narrative and manipulation definitely not knowing what to believe but the main character of benedetta you're like she knows that she's lying but it almost seems like she believes that she's doing it because she's right in a way (laughs) yeah it's she it's like she believes her own lies so much and i do think that there's a way to compare it to some of what we see now in politics in the media yes in a way i think that's fair which is so mind blowing that you would take like a lesbian nun character and then apply that to. I, I guess it's an extreme metaphor. Yeah, it is based theoretically on a a true story. There's a book. I don't know how how much details they actually know for sure, but I, I'm assuming there's a record of her trial and all that right. shit. The ending is completely insane. It's two hours and eleven minutes <laughs> of just Shocking. insanity. Yeah. I loved it. It was one of my favorites of the year so far. I still have Titane a little bit ahead of it because Titane just is so (laughs) mind-blowing. Another crazy movie. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what kind of movies I'm going to respond to at this point. But (laughs) 
check out Benedetta if you can. I think it's going to be on streaming very soon. It's cool, like, Verhoeven's still out there doing it. Yeah, I was telling you as we were walking into the theater, he just signed on to do some new erotic thriller i think set in washington dc or something all right our favorite genre with the same screenwriter who wrote robocop and starship troopers two of his other earlier films Uh i don't know how much we've talked about verhoeven on this podcast since we did basic instinct but we talk about him off the yeah it's quite an unbelievable run oh we did we just did total recall i completely that's right yeah I think the thing about Total Recall is it doesn't really seem like a Verhoeven movie compared to some of his other stuff. It doesn't seem as... It's not pushing boundaries as much. No, but then I guess you could compare it to Starship Troopers a little bit. Starship Troopers is one of those movies, too, where you're like... I think most people didn't understand it, that it was like this satire about the military and stuff like that. And it just went over people's heads and they're like, this is stupid. Yeah. But it was actually like this There's so much weirdness in it, too. I will say not all of his movies are a home run. I think Hollow Man kind of stinks, <laughs> folks. Yeah, it's all right. It's a movie that doesn't seem like it could quite figure out what it was trying to do. I don't know if people remember Hollow Man. It was oh, basically like an well. updated Invisible Man with Kevin Bacon. Yeah. It gets very rapey. It, it certainly does. But his more recent stuff, like I, I was telling you, I saw Black Book, which has Chris Van Houten, who played right. Malisandra and from Game of Thrones. That was Someone like a pretty enjoy cool very movie. Very much. But he's basically working in Europe now. Yeah, that happens with people that make stuff that. Well, as you say, I don't think the boss is like Verhoeven's work. Well, if Showgirls, Starship Troopers, and Hollow Man would have done better at the box office, he probably still would be working in Hollywood. But It'd yeah, okay. well, yeah. maybe not today today yeah, but he yeah, would have yeah. gotten a longer run i right. think after hollow man it was like all right that's it this. yeah go to europe although that's crazy because he had a couple of massive hits before that's that. true but you know benedetta is a cool movie super controversial worth checking out when you get a chance it's on streaming soon hopefully because i hopes. think it's probably out of theaters pretty much <laughs> thanks for checking in <laughs> not a huge theatrical run all right Follow the show on Twitter, Accuratus Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review. Let us know if you'd like a sticker. Listener requests coming up next week. So if you have one, let us know. I think there's going to be an announcement regarding listener requests for 2022. We'll save that for next week. All right. Sort of a new format. So if you've already sent us a listener request. It doesn't count. You can send us another one in next year, but there will be a catch, so we'll we'll get into that next week. Okay. But we'll be rolling out a new listener request system for 2022. All right. I like it. I'm intrigued. Subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983. Matt Crosby, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.
Well, you two already sort of met, but this is Jackie, my, uh, I don't know what to call you, um, girlfriend? 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 Mm-hmm. Total rebound. She means nothing to him. Jane, stop trying to fix everything, okay? Dave and I are through. I'm, I'm gonna need vodka in a water glass with ice, and I'm gonna be ordering water from you all night long, so one water, please. Did we start already, or do you really want water? Just bring me vodka. Okay. So, Jackie, love your hat. Thanks. It's signed by Turtle from Entourage. What are you wearing that's so great? Hmm?